where you're not going to inject it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I wouldn't do that. That's stupid. Went straight home and just put that straight in my arm. Because by that point, I was like, I was injecting everything. I just, I, I realized, like even ecstasy, I would like crush it up and inject it. Like I'm watching the bullets just all around me and I'm jumping over this sand dune just trying to avoid the bullet and I'm swearing in every language. Then like halfway I'm like, oh, by the way, I don't have a gun. He goes, what do you mean you don't have a gun? I go, it's fucking jam. He goes, so what the hell are you doing coming with me? I'm like, uh, then they started going on, you know, talking about criminal records. I'm like, ladies, lads. <laughs> rebel from the start. A rebel from the start, certainly. Information covered up, censorship, corruption. The mainstream media have proven itself to be untrustworthy. I'm here to give a platform for debate, for truth, for open discussion. I'm introducing you to my podcast, Silenced with Tommy Robinson. Who exactly is Tommy Robinson or Stephen the problem is with Islamic the English far right Islamophobic activism. Since then, there's been organised protests across the country in London, Manchester, Leeds. People in their thousands are marching for the There is no such thing in this country as a Muslim free Tommy Robinson. Avi Yemeni is an Australian Israeli conservative political activist, commentator, and reporter for Rebel News. He was born in Melbourne, Australia, and is one of 17 children. In his early years, he struggled with heavy drug abuse and later turned his life around to serve in the Israeli Defence Force from 2005 until 2008. Most of his active duty was spent in the Gaza Strip. He has been labelled many things and faced a lot of backlash. However, he is not one to shy away from uncovering the real story. Avi shows true grit and determination in his reporting, going above and beyond to expose corruption. Welcome to my latest edition of my podcast, Silence, and I'm joined today by a gentleman I'd describe as a good friend, but also, I'd say, the most exciting journalist I've watched in the world. So, Avi, thank you. It's been a long time. Been a while, mate. Yeah, I do love how you open everything with throwing your hands up in the air. Come on. And, Avi, you've got a book out, A Rebel from the Start. Your new book? I know we agree that I'm only doing this if you start by plugging it. <laughs> Get it plugged in case people don't watch further on, so we will plug it. It's on, Am it's on Amazon, yeah? It's on Amazon, am I right? It went to number one in Australia and New Zealand. And New Zealand for a month? For a month. That's got to piss off the detractors. Oh. That's no. got to piss them off, innit? <laughs> I'd say so. <laughs> what I want to know about, because with me, or with yourself, <clears throat> you blew up, but I don't know any of your backstory, right? which is why I'm looking forward to reading this, but your life. Can I start, because obviously now you're a journalist. What were you doing before you were a journalist, Abby? Can we talk about, and you got, are you the 17th child? I'm the 10th of 17, yeah. 10th of 17. So talk to me about have you not? Have you met any of my siblings? I haven't, no. Oh, wow. I've seen pictures of many of them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm number 10, so I was born the night my family moved from, um, from to Melbourne. Yep. So I don't know if you know. From, from where? From Sydney, so there's, so I've got eight siblings were born in Israel. Then my family moved to uh, Sydney, my sister was born, and I don't know why, I've tried to get a straight answer from my dad as to what the hell was going on at many points in life, but especially the, the, the point in life where they drove from Sydney in a, it was a van, like a Nis, an old Nissan shitbox. Mm. It was a nine-seater, it was a nine-seater, so I was a 10, I was a 10, so there was nine seater, so there was 11 people in the nine-seater, 
and it's about, at that time, it used to be like a 12 hour drive. So think about it, two adults, mm. nine kids, including like my sister was my young, my oldest, like the youngest one there was uh, maybe one and she's, a, she's a, maybe 14 months older than me, mm. 15 months older than me. And they drove to Melbourne and then that night I was born. What the hell they were doing driving with a nine month pregnant woman, um, I still haven't got the straight answer. But I, look, I think when you have 17 kids or when, you're just having a kid every year. You don't plan around it. You just have it around that. And why did your family leave Israel? Because most many Jews end up going back to Israel. Yeah, so they did. My mum's my Israeli. Yep. She's from Yemen. They, they in 48, they came to Israel after the Arab world really turned on their local Jews. So my family moved to Israel. So because so they were Jews in Yemen, they started getting a hard time. Well, that, it depends, like, when you talk to Arab Jews, mm. like Jews from Arab backgrounds, it depends, it, it's very situational. Like, some Jews had it okay for certain periods, some Jews had it good, a lot had it bad for a long time, like, they were their second-class citizens, but they just dealt with it. And then when Israel was reborn, as we say, as Jews, like, when in 1948, when it was declared a, the current state it is, then, um, then a lot of Arab Jews basically had to flee. They lost everything. They had to be... T um, uh, the government had to help rescue them. Okay. So my family moved, they live all still in the same neighbourhood that they moved to in 1948. My mum, at the age of, oh, I think, 17 or 18, she got an offer from her dad. You can either learn how to drive a car or you can go to New York. And to New York is to like go find her husband. And that's, oh, that's what, what it meant. That's what it meant. It means you go, you're gonna go to New York and you're gonna, yeah, start the process. She might have been old. Is that, is that an arranged marriage? Is that yeah, arranged marriages. That's the way it works. Yeah. Okay. And then my dad, he, he, my dad was born in Australia to Russian Polish, like immigrants. Um, they were Jewish, Russian Polish immigrants, secular, not anti-religious. And my dad rebelled, and became religious. And so then he ended up in New York, and then it was a match made. Where three three dates, seventeen kids later. <laughs> They're not, they're not married anymore. My mum lives in Israel, my dad's in Australia, my oh, okay. dad's secular again. Um, and your dad's left religion now? Mm-hmm. Okay. And 17 kids, what's it like growing up with 17? At the time, it was crap. At the time, I remember the one dream I had every night was being, like, leaving home, being adopted by some white Aussie family who have no kids, and I'd be the only spoiled, um, okay, only child. Sure. Because you never got anything, like you literally, I talk about it in the book, you got, you know, I remember just looking at kids with Nikes. Nike shoes, not like your kids. Uh, <laughs> he just seen my son's trainer collection. Yeah, so <laughs> I, we didn't even get nothing. So to get brand, like we had, what was a, we called it the, um, the shoe cupboard. And that's where you would do your shopping for your shoes. It's just like all hand me down. And then one day I saw like I had enough, I'm like, I'm gonna get myself a pair of Nikes because all the cool kids at school have the Nikes. And I, I went to like a Jewish school where there was some, certainly some affluent kids in the class that had the latest everything every time. And I thought, I'm gonna compete with these guys. And I went downstairs to the shoe cupboard, I opened the shoe cupboard and I found a pair of Nikes that were about four, si four sizes too big, <laughs> had big holes in them. But I put that, those bad boys on and I waddled to school and I remember like I was just so underwhelmed when nobody was, in, <laughs> nobody was impressed by my Nikes. <laughs> but so at the time, I think it sucked. Now it's the best thing ever. There's nothing like family. Like at the end of the day, when you grow up and also you have your own kids and 
you start to realize what matters in life, I'm very close, even though we're so different, like we, the, the spectrum in my family when it comes to politics, everything, like I've got to the right of me, rabbis to the right of me, so ultra-religious. So one of your brothers is a rabbi? I've got a few brothers that are rabbis, okay. but one that's, that I would consider probably politically also to the right of me, and he's like a full conservative, to, you know, I've got gay brother who lives in Tel Aviv who's anti-religious, and the thing is like, Politically, I probably, we disagree a lot in our family and imagine everyone's like me, so we're just like, um, we like to have our opinions all heard and it can get loud. But at the end of the day, I think uh, like we can, we can do that and love each other. I have one brother in, in, in Melbourne, he's like a lefty Jew, basically. I always make fun of him, he doesn't like when I call him a lefty, but he's, he's actually a lefty, like he's a progressive Jew. He's also a rabbi, like he did the rabbi, but then he's become like a progressive Jew. So the Orthodox probably don't, they don't really like what he's doing because he, okay. he's changing it. The point is we'll sit there and we'll argue about everything from climate change to Trump. And I- like well, I, is he an anti-Trumper? Anti-Trumper, and I'll sit there and just stir, stir yeah, him yeah, up, yeah. you know? Like, I, cause I, that's the thing, you don't, I believe what I believe, and I'll say what I believe, but also I like to banter, I think. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't actually care if you think differently, right? But I'll stir him up, and then at the end, he ends up being like, he, like a typical lefty, he gets louder and louder and louder trying to win, and then um, Rhonda and his and wife have emotion. to jump in. All and, emotion. All emotion. And, and then no, no facts or argument. And Rhonda, what's, your brother, what's your brother's name? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I tell him that. You lefty Jew. I, I tell him that. And my, and my, um, and, and Rhonda, she, she, she could see what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just having laughs. And he's just getting, and he's really getting mad. But the point I think that that's important, and I think I talk about it as well in the book, is that that's the way the world should be. Like, we should be able to disagree about the issue and have a laugh. We like, were just talking about this a minute ago with someone who I sat down to do a podcast with who totally has a different view of me on yeah. the Palestine-Israel thing. Yeah. I said, well, it's not a problem. Yeah. You can have your belief. You can be wrong. You're you allowed can, to be wrong. Yeah, yeah, you can have your belief. I'll have my belief. It doesn't yeah. mean yeah. there has to be a problem. Yeah. No. yeah. But 17 kids, how, how would you even have... Se so all 17 living in one house, how big is the house? I didn't... All right, so uh, that's actually a funny story. And I don't think I fully... Oh, no, I did tell it in the book. I did tell it. Even getting a lift, how do you, you go anywhere as a family? You we had a bus. So my dad used to drop me off at like a birthday party in a bus. Like just me, like that was our car, a bus, <laughs> a 17 seater bus. Like, you know, those school yeah, yeah. buses, That's what, that was our, our, our car. Um, but what so when my family me? built, so when we moved to Melbourne, we had, they had this, they bought this little tiny, like, I think it was uh, one, two, it was a three bedroom and like a tiny kitchen, like old house, right? And then they, they started to build on the back end of it. And when they went to do the permits, they applied for 11 bedrooms, five kitchens. Because for kosher, you need mil milk, meat. Like ultra-orthodox, this is the way they do it. They do milk, meat, because you're not allowed to ha have milk and meat together as part of kosher, right? So they do milk and meat separate, and then they have what's called parva, which is not meaty or milky, so that you can prepare a cake and serve it with either. And then they also have Passover kitchen, that's used for one week for Passover, which is also milk and meat. So it was five kitchens, 11, bar 11 um, uh, bedrooms and, and uh, four bathrooms or whatever. And so they got rejected at first because like years later, my dad found out why, but they got rejected at first because they believed that they were trying to build a brothel. 
<laughs> and the thing that I asked my dad is, I don't know was which he? which bro. <laughs> 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 there was obviously a lot of sex happening, but, <laughs> but uh, I just don't know which brothel feeds people and feeds people that well that you need five kitchens. Yeah. But um, in the house, there was only ever one night where, where we all st- uh, lived together, and that was the night before my sister's, um, my, si- my oldest sister's wedding. Outside of that, it's, there's probably, I think we averaged like 10 at home at once. We all got kicked out. Go. Well, we all got kicked out pretty young. Like, I got kicked out at home when I was between 13 and 14, around that age, and foster care and streets. Why did, why did you get kicked out? Uh, and what did, you, what did that, your dad do for work? My dad's a computer yeah, computer programmer. Good job. It was okay. I, I think he, my, dad's, my dad's one of these guys, he loves to manipulate the system. So he spent probably more time on it. Like, for example, he, he would figure out things like, he's such a Jew. <laughs> so, he, he, so he would work out contracts, phone contracts, right? Yeah. And you know that back in the days when you used to pay by the second or whatever. And then so this company had a certain deal that if you did something, like if you did five minutes, you'd get a free whatever. And this company, so what he would do to make phone calls, he figured out a way, this is the thing, he figured out a way where if you call, if you use two phones to make phone calls, it actually credits, so it makes more money than it spends. So he, the telecom was paying him to make calls. He ended up, he ended up making like such a like a massive credit with telecom with Telstra, which is like the main telecom yeah. thing in Australia. And it's like, and it was all just by actual use of phones. So my dad, my point is, my dad worked, but he also spent a lot of time. Just working whatever system <laughs> was there. Um, but yeah, I don't know what. Um, and your dad was orthodox, very religious. Ultra orthodox. And my dad, because like, it's like reborn again. Which means what? What, what does that mean? What's a, what, if you, so like when, the it's is, funny because when you see people talk about Jews. Um, does that mean? Yeah, but, but when you see, like often I see conspiracy theorists who talk about, oh, and they show a Jew and they're like, oh, the Zionist, this and that. And the funny thing is the Jew that they're showing is usually... Really, they don't know the difference, but that's actually an anti-Zionist Jew. Yeah. Yeah. So, because you see those sort of Jews on the anti-Israel marches. Yeah. Well, they're even more than anti. They're the wor- They're like the tiniest minority. Which so there's the, it's a spectrum. Like there's okay. ultra orthodox that and the and and the reason is important as to why they're anti-Zionist. They're anti-Zionist because according to they're the way they up. interpret the scripture is that the strict law of the uh, law is that, that Jews can't. Um, can't, can't be autonomous on that in Israel again until the third temple is built. Where so they did it twice in history. They did there was a temple, but they can't do it again until the temple is is built. So it's not actually they're not saying. Yeah, yeah. They, the, the argument is not that it's not not Jewish land. It's that it's not Jewish land yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or again yet. Um, but so so my dad we my dad was very born again to what is called Chabad, which is when you see Jew, like synagogues everywhere around the world, it's like an outreach thing because the leader who was based in New York, um, who came, they came from Europe, they were almost like evangelicalizing. Like they, they, their whole philosophy is to only Jews though, not to bring people from outside, but to bring Jews back to the fold. That's why a lot of people that are reborn um, come into that sect. And a lot of people that are reborn become more fanatical. Like my dad was more fanatical than all the people in my class. And we had the strictest rules. Like we weren't allowed to watch TV growing up. We were, although 
My dad had a TV in their exercise room. I used to watch it through the, the keyhole. So he, was dad, he, he was shifty. Like, so like, your dad was allowed to watch TV? Well, Did not really, watch? but yeah, yeah, we weren't allowed. He was like, manipulating he, again, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, like, <laughs> I, talk, I talked to him about it these days. Cause, so why did I get kicked out? Because I, didn't, I had a choice, essentially, and I talk about it like the actual storyline of it in the book, but I was given a choice. Be religious, practice, like, practice, stay at home and practice, you know, keep Shabbat, kosher, you know, go to synagogue three times a day. Three times a day? Three times a day. Like, do all that or... Um, get out of the house, and he, his argument was that if because if I'm at home or like to any of the kids, but if I was home at the time, that the younger kids will be influenced by my, you know, by my behaviour, and I chose the street. Like I, I stayed, I left. Uh, I literally walked out. I don't know. Like I was 30 and 40. I'm like, fuck, sweet. And I left, and I slept on the street for a few nights until I manipulated my way into somebody's house. Now, how, how does that? How does that? How does that feel as a 13 year old kid? I think, that's, I think that's pretty brutal. It is. Uh, that's look, brutal. Uh, look, well, it, it's, look, like you have kids now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I couldn't imagine ever, you know, if something happens to my kids now, it hurts me. Like if my kid hurts himself, I'm hurt. You know what I mean? I, I, I couldn't imagine it. One, I think my dad's a different person. I think it's a different time. And also, like, 17 kids, I think, numbs you to the pain of your kids. Like, you can't possibly have... The same I, feeling and I, I can't imagine, like, I, I guess at some point you just realise, because so many things always happen, you just go, oh well. So you're homeless at 13, 14? Mm. Are, you, are you in school? No, I left, I was, uh, so I, I, I went to a few schools at the time, I went overseas for a minute, also they tried to, like, I'm jumping around a bit, but they tried to, which is really weird to me, they tried to bring me back to the fold, and my brother was a teacher at a Jewish school in Brazil, and they sent me to, I don't get it, they sent me to Brazil to Mom bring me, yeah, to bring me back to the path, mm. to the country. Uh, Brazil, have you been to Brazil? No, I really. That is go. not a place that's going to bring you back to faith. I just don't okay. think, like from a Jewish religious perspective. Why not? Where you've got all women. these women, and it's women. all a very, <laughs> it's like a very sexualized. Like think about a 13, 14 year old in a country that their their um, culture is sexualized. Yeah. and the girls are like half naked all the time <laughs> I was just um, so it didn't convince me to get back no and um, but yeah then there was did you uh, what did your mum not have a say in this um my mum just I'm thinking my own thing it wouldn't matter what my dad said my mum would never yeah I think, did your mum was your mum was your mum ultra religious was she yeah my mum was she, my mum my mum never dads? even knew my mum never knew any better like she grew up with it, that was her life, and she also grew up in a culture like the Arab Jews, but they still, they got the Arab culture. She, the woman, you know, like my grandmother never learned how to read or write. They cook, they clean, they, they, they take care of the house, the husband provides, and he's the educated one. That's, that's like the culture my mum came from. So I think she, um, to a degree, just took the backseat on that, like just whatever my dad said. but. She also was, like, she did start a business back then. Like, she started selling wigs or whatever. But So she started to, and now she's, uh, like, I don't think now she would put up with that. But different time. And then you, what, you left school for? So it's, it's like, the, I went to, to a few schools. How long did you go to Brazil for? I was uh, probably six months, something like that. And then it was, uh, I went, I got kicked out of, like, six schools in about, I think there was a, in total, it was six schools, I think, in, in that period, so between 13 and 15. For what reason? Was you angry? Was you... 
Because you're getting kicked out of your house, was you? Uh, well, I was getting kicked out of school. Yeah. I was getting kicked out of school. Look, I, I know this will shock you, Tommy, but I was a smart ass. Okay. <laughs> I, I, like I would have been a difficult kid, a hundred percent. Like I was always a class clown, and I was I was always willing to go that one step too far. Um, Still are, yeah. <laughs> at times, yeah. but so, but most of it had to do with religion. I think I don't. I think that for me, I just knew I didn't want to be involved. I, like I just wanted to be free. I, want, I didn't want the restriction. I, I kind of believed it, but that's what happens when you, you're brainwashed from a child. So I believed it, but I didn't believe it enough to be scared of hell or whatever. I was just like, nah, I'll deal with that when I get there. Let's just have fun now. And so it was more about religion and I had a really warped moral compass at that age because for me, growing up, breaking the Sabbath was... What's that mean, breaking the Sabbath? Sabbath, so from Friday night, from sundown on Friday night to um, sunset, on Saturday evening. No electrical goods. No, nothing electric. You're not allowed, to, like it's really comes from the idea of not starting a fire, but you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed, you're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to watch TV. You can't, you go to synagogue. You, it's kind of nice. You've got to shut off. Like now I look at it and I think that there is actually something to it. You can't have your phone for 24 hours, 25, 25 hours. And it's like, it forces family time. It's a meal. You have uh, one, two, three meals together as a family and you have guests. So it's actually kind of nice, but as a kid, it feels, like a restriction, like you can't do anything, you can't have fun. So breaking the Sabbath to me or eating like pork or something, that was way worse than robbing somebody on the street, to me. Okay. That, and, or taking drugs is probably a better example. Like taking drugs was way less, uh, like it wasn't even a problem. People would accept you for taking drugs. They wouldn't accept you for breaking the Sabbath or eating pork. You see when, when Rabbi Nakram Shifram, do you remember, do you, do you know Rabbi Nakram Shifram, the surfing rabbi? No. In California, so when we had the English Defence League, we um, he was a guest speaker, so we flew him over. I didn't know anything about Sabbath, yeah. yeah. So I thought I'll book him a nice hotel, yeah, because we're, we're at a demonstration in Luton. So we book him a nice hotel. It's out of Luton. Uh, it's, it's it's right out, yeah. So we're there, and we and it's about eight o'clock in the morning. We've all been on the party the night before. He's he's knocked on our door, our hotel room door. So we've opened the door. It's about ten lads all still still on the place. <laughs> eight in the morning. The rabbi's there, right? And then um, I said, right, we'll, we're getting picked up, and he goes. No, no, I can't get in the car. And, it, and I'm like, what do you mean you can't get in the car? He goes, I'm not that. And I had no idea. He said, I said, we're miles away. <laughs> he goes, I can't get in the car. I said, what, you've, you've got to walk. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll walk. And then we were liaising with the police, because the police, obviously, is an English Defence League that, that rally. And the police have had to walk with him the whole way. Oh, <laughs> so really? I mean, hours yeah, and hours. Sure. That's what I, I had no idea. I, said, I, I had no idea of any of that to do, yeah. to do with... Um, yeah, no, that, and they won't break that. No, you like you, you wouldn't if you, if you no, practice. You just wouldn't. You'd mm. walk as far as you have to walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you kicked out of thirteen. You lead, and then you kick. You going? At, was you clever at school, Avi? Was you, I, did you do well? I, no, no. I was. I was. So, like earlier on, I was. I was trouble the whole time. I used to pretend to faint. Go on. I, I, I talk about it in the book. Like I was. What for? You, to get out of school? Or mate, it was like probably a mix of attention and. Mm. Like, I love, yes, I was always an attention seeker. I love it. Do you think things. that's because you didn't get enough attention at home? I, I think it has to be, it has to do with, I, everyone in my family is attention seekers. I think it has to do with wanting more attention because you, you're one of 17. Mm. But, and then I think on top of that, it's probably, it's nature and nurture, like you, also you, natural. And how did that, where did that lead you? At 13, 14, 15, you're in and out of school? Uh, the, I ended up, 
using a lot of drugs. At, so I, like what I, age? Between 15 to 17, uh, uh, 16 to just under 18, I was like a full-blown heroin addict. Like I was just, yeah. A full-blown heroin addict. And that's injecting, smoking? Injecting. It was injecting. I wouldn't waste anything on, a, on, on smoking it. I smoked it the first time. So the, what actually happened was... On, how, how, used, how, does that, how does that happen? Yeah, so this is how it happens. Like, I never thought I'd do that, right? Everybody, you know, no one goes into a gang, I'm going to ever... You, I know when I first took drugs, I was like, I'd never touch heroin. That's a dirty drug, right? And then you start doing the partying, especially as a kid. You start partying, you start taking the ecstasy, the MD, the coke, and then you get right up. So for me, my weekend looked like this. From Thursday night, I was up, and... Sunday was like when I was, start, Sunday evening is like when you start coming down and it, it was a painful Monday and Tuesday usually. And then you had Wednesday to pretend like you're living like a normal person. And then Thursday you did it all again, right? And that, I probably did that for a year and a half. You know, you'd go to the parties, sell a bit of ecstasy to cover your little, and then I, um, one, one weekend, cause the come downs were horrible. Like, especially as you, you know, even when you've gone to the ice and stuff like that, you, you the come down. What's ice? Meth. Oh, meth, yeah. yeah. So the come downs hurt. And then one night, my like one weekend on, on the Sunday night, a mate of mine goes, hey, i got something that can get rid of the come downs. He goes, but you've got to swear, because by that point I was like, I was injecting everything. I just, I, I realised, like even ecstasy, I would like crush it up and inject it, because I was like, the, I, w I was almost just as addicted to the, the high of the moment of the rush of it going up your arm. You've never injected anything, have you? No. <laughs> so and I find it mental that, that, that this was you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I, I find it mental. I wouldn't waste anything because it's just, once you do that, it's just, it, 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 it's instant. You get the total high of it and you literally feel it happen to you. Like, have you ever had an operation, you know, when they get you to count down? Mm. That's literally what happens. It's like that countdown to whatever the high is. So you go three, two, well, and then you're peaking. But then after the, on the, on the Sunday night, he goes to me, I'll give it to you, but you've got to swear that you'll, you won't inject it. And I go, yes, like, for sure, man. And we burned it. That was the only time I ever burned it. And it immediately, like, I was like, oh, this come down's not bad. I don't know what's going on here, but this come down's not bad. And, um, I go, oh, come on, just give me a little, like a little rock I'll take home and I'll burn. And he goes, you swear you're not going to inject it? And I go, yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I wouldn't do that. That's stupid. Went straight home and just put that straight in my arm. And it, the, next, the next few, like, months, every time I, um, like, it started getting to this point where I was, I was going out, like I was still doing the Thursday night, and I was looking forward to the Thursday night not for the Thursday night or the Saturday, not for the party anymore. I was actually really looking forward to the Sunday night, to the come down, to the heroin. And, and, and then it just got to a point, going, what? why am I doing all that? Let me just do the heroin. go the heroin. And, and, and it's just, it's, it happens so quickly like it is. I did every drug. I was never into like um, LSD and like st I feel like I didn't have control. So I never liked that stuff. But like all the party drugs, all the, and, and I liked the feeling, but the come downs were hard, but there was nothing that physically got you addicted like heroin. And it, and it gradually happened quickly. Like, How quickly? Well, probably you, in six months, you, like, you're done. You're, and you was using every day then? Every, three times a day. Three right? times you a day. Have to, How much are you spending then? 
I've, I've, look, I, I think by my peak, it was a couple of grand a week. Wow. Um, but, but the guys that I was using with, they were five times what I was doing. Like, I always thought these junkies, if they were like not... They put their head to... If they put their head to yeah. thing that... But I guess you're also, they're desperate. So when you're desperate, you they manage to, yeah, you manage to find a way to make it happen. But it was... Was that what your circle of friends was all junkies then? It became, point? like, I'm the kind of person that I'll make friends wherever I am. I, I, that's just how I've always been. So I'm able, I'm able to be the friend, like I'm able to be friends with the lowest person and the, the smartest guy. Like I don't, to me, I just get on with everyone. So it wasn't... But I remember I used to always sit around, like I'd be at junk, full junkie houses, like, and I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm like a, a germaphobe. I know people don't know this because especially COVID actually, COVID actually taught me to go the other way. Because remember when COVID first kicked in and, and everyone was like, what, like well, I thought it was like scary at first and everybody was starting to wash their hands and everybody was doing, using the alcohol. I was like, this is a bloody amazing, finally people are being clean. <laughs> Right, and then when the government told us we had to do it, I was like, "Screw you!" And that taught me to to, to be, be less of a germaphobe. Yeah. So it actually took it away from me, just because I wanted to rebel. How but, did germaphobe, germaphobe settle in in crack houses? Yeah, so I so I remember like I, I would go to like full crack houses, and there'd be like I wouldn't sit down, I wouldn't, and I also I wouldn't I as addicted as I got, I would never use. Needles. A second hand noodle. I would never, like, I would clean it myself. I wouldn't let them use the same thing on the same spoon. Like, I was just, I was always a German But that, it was that kind of, I don't know what you call it, is it a level of arrogance? or Like, I always looked at myself as I'm just this kid passing through, whereas these guys, they had the worst life stories. They always got bashed as a kid. They, like, they're, they're each person I knew, their, their life story was worse than the next. And I, ne I never saw myself as the same, but I didn't realise I was actually just turning into that. Like, it, was just, it didn't matter what your background was. Yeah. If the drug got a hold of you, which it did for me, it got a hold of me. And for me, my, you hit that, you know, that rock bottom. That, how, how was we funding a couple of grand a week? Mate, everything, just petty crime. Just, you'd, you literally spent your whole day looking for ways to make money. Make money. So whatever it was, whether it was stealing, robbing, uh, or just even drug dealing a bit, like whatever it was, you just did whatever it took and just get, just get your fix and, you know, and we had some big hits that, that worked well for sometimes and it lasted about a week and then... And at, at that time, your family, are your family aware of your drug addiction? That they were living, aware. Are you living in the same vicinity and no, areas? Yeah, so I was living in that area. So for me, like there was a rock bottom and I described it in the book. Like for me, I was staying at my friend's house and he was like a full, full blown junkie, but we'd both grown up in that same neighborhood. So he was kind of, we kind of knew each other beyond the drugs. So our friendship was like a bit deeper than just like junkies that share thing. We came from the same community, but I remember I was staying at his house, not because, because as kids, you were easily able to get um, government accommodation and stuff like that because it's just it's 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 almost That's half crazy. a socialist state in Australia. So the the system set up that no kid really needs to be homeless ever. The only reason why I was homeless at that time was because I was um, I was too lazy, like I was too busy trying to make money, like do get my next fix and then have my next fix and then just enjoy it. So I just I was literally sleeping at my friend's house in his bed. At his, it was at his mother's house in, in his bed. And what I did was, I, I'd, I'd always, because I knew, like anyone who hasn't, if, if you've done heroin, like the th what it does to you, the addiction, is 
when you take it, so in the beginning when you first take it, it's an amazing painkiller. Like, have you had morphine for an operation? No. Uh, so it's like this, it, it's, it's a physical and mental painkiller. And like, I was obviously in a lot of mental pain and physical pain, like, even if you don't have physical pain, a physical painkiller makes things all light and you feel nice, right? And, and that's the high you get at first. But then what happens is, as you get addicted, your body stops producing whatever that um, drug is that, that, you know, for example, just bending your elbow. The reason why that doesn't hurt you is because your body produces this, whatever that uh, drug is, that, that makes that not hurt. Now, what happens is your body stops producing it because it's, it's, it thinks you've got too much. All right, so then what happens is when, you get, when you're using more, suddenly everything aches. Like if, so when you come off it, everything starts hurting. And it gets to the point where it's like the worst flu you've ever had, like a real flu, not COVID, like the real, like think about the worst flu you've had, times that by 10, that's when you're really addicted and you haven't had your, your fix in the morning, that's how you feel. And then what happens is you take that fix and that's what happened to me on that day is like, I remember preparing it because you know that that's gonna happen. So I prepared one um, for the morning so I didn't have to like do it and, and be in the pain while I did it. And I put it on his coffee table, which was probably like three meters, four meters, I don't know, five meters maybe from the bed. And I woke up in the morning and I was like in the worst pain of my life. And I remember just crawling to- And how old were you at this time? Eight, eight, uh, eight, the, the, no, this is like seven, eight, 17, eight. yeah. And I remember crawling to that table. I'm telling you, till today, I remember it, it felt like probably two, three hours to get there. Probably- Because you in so much agony. It was so painful. I got there so sad. And then when I got there, you, you know, you put it in your arm, and I put it in, and I was like, so just think for a second that you had that worst flu, you went to the doctor, and the doctor gave you an injection, and you suddenly felt totally better. That's it. That's the biggest high in the world, because you've gone from the biggest pain to just feeling normal. And then I realized at that point, like, how did I end up here? That being okay is the best thing that I'm fighting for now. And I literally, I walked, it was probably three blocks from my parents' house. I walked there. I hadn't seen my parents in, uh, by that point, probably a year, I hadn't really seen my parents. I was only a few blocks away, but I just hadn't seen them. And I remember I opened the, I knocked on the door, my mum opens the door and I just burst out crying. I would, I, like, I, I would have been a bag of bones. Even when, cause I went from there to, I, I, that was the first time I put myself in rehab and I, I went from rehab to the IDF and I was 50 kilos. Wow. 50 kilos. So now I'm, I'm, I'm like 80 kilos. Spencer's 60 kilos. Yeah, I'm, I was 50 kilos when I went to the army at 18. And that's after rehabilitating. So I would have been less. I would have been in the 40s. I was a bag of bones and like, I had like, my mum must have like. Yeah, when she saw you, what was. Oh, she just, she just knew. My, my dad's response was, <laughs> my dad's response is, well, we've got to ask the rabbi if he can be here. Um, because as in like, have, bring me in and I could just be there and um, detox until I can go into a rehab or something. The rabbi said, ask the doctor. The doctor came over, said, mate, he's either dead or in jail. Like, this, he, this is his, you know, uh, fork in the road. So you can choose it. So, so then I stayed at my parents for a bit and yeah. And then I went to the IDF from rehab. How long did you go rehab for? So I was court ordered a bunch of times. But because you're getting into trouble. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So just I just kept get, yeah. So I kept going to court. But like it was, but you didn't want to go then. 
when you, no, no, when you never wanted. No, like, no, no, I didn't mind going because it, it was always like it'd bring down your tolerance. Like it, it, it would help your tolerance. So it would, yeah, it would give you a break, and then you'd get come out and you just get really high. So it, you know, and you would take care of, and they were all, you know, they had these mothers there that in the de, in the detoxes that were really caring. You know, I was miss, I was in at that point in my life, I was definitely missing love. So it was good to have a bit of that, and then you'd go back out and get high again. This was the first time that I recognize that I actually needed it. And I went to, so detox is about three weeks and then rehabs like can be up to five months, six months. But I think I was probably there for a few months before, like I went to the meetings for the IDF. From, they didn't know I was in rehab and my, my social worker would, you know, drive me to the, you have like these you know, interviews and about doing, at the time I had to do Aliyah. So yeah, I had to become an Israeli citizen because of the unit I wanted to be in. And why did you want to go to the IDF? IDF? Was, was it solely, was it solely you wanted to get away? Yeah. Because you wanted to get away from the drugs, so you want to come yeah. out clean or focus on something? It was probably, it, it was, it, it was it, it for Israel? It, it, no, no, it was definitely a mix. So one, you know, I've, I always as a kid, wanted to be an IDF soldier. That's like kind of, you know, I had two older brothers that were in the army, my uncles, my cousins, you know, my uncle, I've got a tattoo of him on my arm, he died in the army. So it was obviously something, um, it was something I always looked up to and always kind of wanted to do. I did look at the Australian army at the time, but when I went to the, so at the same time I went to, cause I was kind of weighing up, should I go to the Australian army or, or Israel? And when I went to the, um, uh, I don't know what they call it, like an information session, uh, then they started going on, you know, talking about criminal records. I'm like, ladies, lads, because it was just so fresh. I had, I, I was like, it's funny because every time the court kind of g gave me no conviction, but I'd, I'd been <laughs> charged and guilty for basically every kind of, any, all, all kind of petty crimes yeah. type stuff. So, you know, robbery, armed robbery, um, all the dr uh, um, dealing drugs and all that. So I knew that that, or I didn't think it was going to be worth the effort. And also I walked out of there going, really, where am I going to go fight somebody else's war when I can go and defend, you know, Israel, which is not only something I believe in, but it's also my family, my, my you know, my people. So it felt more um, uh, important, like more uh, real to me. And then on top of that, I just knew I had to get away. So that was the time. Like I knew I had to get away. It was a choice between the Australian or the Israeli. The Australians made it really easy decision for me because they just started mm. talking about criminal history and I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to talk my way out of this one. While you're on that, can I ask you that question then? I'll just say, what, what, what's more important to you? Would it be Israel or Australia? You see, I, 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 I get asked that a lot, usually in bad faith. Yeah. But... Um, see, I don't look at it like that because it's, for me, it's about a, mo a set of moral values. Like, uh, it's a set of values. I don't, I believe in freedom and democracy and, and, and uh, Judeo-Christian values. So, so it's not Australia or Israel because right now Australia and Israel share the same values. If one of them lost their way, yeah, I would have a problem with that regime. So if Australia weren't turned into a dictator, a communist state, yeah, I would have a problem with that. If Israel- It has, hasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> to a degree, but that's why, that's why, that's why I, I, I fought the system there. Yeah. And, but I still love, you can love the country and, and the thing, but, but, but fight the system. Same thing as Israel. So you're saying if they went to war, which one lost its way? 
Okay. But right now, they're, it's, just a, it's a stupid question because they, they won't fight each other if they, no, they share those values. Okay, so you've, and since, so you went to rehab, you've then gone and joined the IDF. How long was you in the IDF for? Uh, three years. Three yeah. years? Yeah. What was that like? Um, it was like, I wish I was a bit older when I got to do it because I was, I was still a smart ass. Um, but I had a lot of fun. I'm still really good friends with some of the guys, like, like being there right now, they're all in the, at the front line because I'm 38 now, so they're right at the end of their reservists. You do it till you're 40. So these are the guys at the front line now. Like my officer, who, by the way, was an Arab, he, um, he's a Christian Arab, and he's right now right at the front in, 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 in Gaza. And I was talking to him through this, and um, it was an amazing experience. He was funny because during the army, he would, uh, he would invite me to all the Christian like Christmas and all that, and Arab, like, it's the best food, and it's got all the best elements of the Arab uh, culture, so it's like the food, the family, and all that, um, and he would invite me to all, 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 all those, not, not because, he knew I was Jewish, but he knew I was Aussie, so I kind of knew all the, Christian, all the Christian stuff, and it was funny, because you'd come back to base, and everyone would be like, it's, it's kind of against the rule, you're not allowed to be friends with the commander, because okay. you're like a snitch. Yeah, and yeah. Walk, you'd walk in and be like, you're such a snitch. You're <laughs> such an argo. Well fed snitch. <laughs> um, but no, but it was banter like that. Like the, the unit I was in, Golani. It was, was the unit? Golani, it was very much a, like, the boys. It was a lot of banter. But then when shit hit the fan, everybody was, um, you know, everyone knew their job. Everyone was, I wouldn't call it professional because it's not a professional army. Like, that's the, thing, that's the difference between the British Army, American Army, and Israeli Army. It's, the Israeli Army is, uh, it's one of the soldiers actually articulated it in my, one of my interviews just now, and I think it was brilliant. It's an army by the people for the people because it's literally every kid just puts on a uniform at 18 and he just does his civic duty because they have to defend their borders or there is no Israel, right? Whereas in Britain or Australia, you sign up usually to fight someone else's war. Who knows now, but that's general, that, that's the difference. And they're usually a lot more, like we trained with the American Marines and they were so much more stiff, you know, they took everything so seriously. Where we, like I used to be the biggest shit stirrer in the army. There was, there's this one thing where, where like during training, you've got to stand up and, and one person's got to, I don't know what you call, I don't know anything in English what it's called, but you, basically somebody's, if a, if a commanding officer comes in, Somebody's got to like draw everyone to attention, right? And one person goes to the front and doesn't everyone stands on. And I would at one time, so the the you know the commanding officer of the entire, I think in English it's a platoon, so I don't know, a few hundred soldiers. He's walk. So as they walk, you've just got to jump in and do it. Like if they come into the area, the vicinity, you just got somebody's got to go up the front, do it, and everybody. And so I just took the opportunity and I got there. And then I start to to call everyone to attention, but I. My Hebrew was funny, right? But I also played on it, so I just started making up gibberish and calling this guy to attention, right? And everybody's just falling to the floor laughing, including the commanding officer. You see him bolt for the door to get, a, to, to get away. And then, he, and then he calls me into like, I had to come to his uh, office after and he goes, you never, ever, in the life of you, ever called the kid to attention. <laughs> Um, but so it was fun and, and I, you know, I think um, I wish I took it more seriously, some of it, because, you know, I probably was too much of a clown at points, but 
you know, it probably helped shape who I was. When combat's nothing like they... Did you see combat? Yeah, so I was in, literally, my, my I was in the Lebanon War. I was in the Lebanon War, um, but, but I was at the end of my training, so I didn't, I didn't see action there. We were in this village that was completely under our control. But most of my service, I was deployed in Gaza, in, a, in the exact um, kibbutz Gaza, where they wiped out all the soldiers and they went house to house now. Like I went to visit it, where they butchered all the people and the, beheaded those kids and took the, kidnapped all those, all those civilians. That's where I, that, that was most, that's why I couldn't believe what happened. Like I watch, I, I remember like, you couldn't even get 200 meters. From, if you came 200 meters to the fence, it was my job to give you a warning shot. And then if you still kept coming, shoot out a, a knee. Or, or, and then if you still kept coming, like that was my job. And I just- On that actual kibbutz? That, yeah, on that border, exactly where they broke through right there. And, and in that kibbutz was at where I was stationed. So, um, and combat's, combat's like when we went into Gaza and that's scary shit. Like, uh, you know, there was one time where we were, we went into Gaza to try, it's, crazy that we're still talking about it now, but that we're trying to uh, either capture or kill a, a group of terrorists that kept firing rockets from a certain location. And we went into Gaza and we camped out for a couple of days, like waiting for them, but they obviously knew we were there because as we were leaving, they ambushed us from the trees. There's probably, I think about five of them in the trees. And then there was, uh, I don't know how many, from long range, like with machine guns, that were also then began firing. So we were like walking out in formation, and in these trees in front of us, we're getting ambushed. We get dropped down, return fire, blah blah, doing whatever we're going to do. My, um, and then and then from behind, suddenly they're shooting long range, and my gun jammed. Piece of shit, U.S. fucking M4 jammed on me. Do you know that feeling of where, like, I'm watching the bullets just all around me and I'm jumping over this sand dune just trying to avoid the bullet and I'm swearing in every language and I'm like, like I'm, I, they made fun of me for the rest of my army service because they were, they were reenacting the way I was saying, I'm like, I bloody cleaned this piece of American shit. <laughs> um, and I like, I thought we were dead then. Like I thought I was dead that night. I thought I was dead and until, um, because it was more the long range stuff. The, the guys in the bushes we, we probably had, like the, the, I was a, I, was a um, I think we call a marksman. Yep. So I had an M4 with a special scope and night vision. And my, so there was always, in, in each class, there was always two of them. You had one at the front with a, uh, a, a Negev, which is I guess a, a machine gun. And, 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 and the officer goes in the middle with a, with a radio guy. And then you also have one, another one of me in the middle. The one in the front got hit uh, by shrapnel. So when, when it was all said and done, when it was all said and done, the officer called me to come round to, to, because he, had, he, he needed, because we were the ones with night vision. Now it might be a bit different because there's probably better technology, but back then he called me around to come, and this is my Arab officer, he calls me to come round to help him. the one you used to grasp to. What is that? This was the Arab officer you used to grasp to. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And he goes, come around to check, and I, and and like I'm I'm going with him, and and then like halfway, I'm like, oh, by the way, I don't have a gun. He goes, what do you mean you don't have a gun? I go, it's fucking jammed. He goes, so what the hell are you doing coming with me? I'm like, I'm like, you told me to come. He goes, get. And then like when we got back and did the debrief, he thought it was that I was all brave in that. He didn't realize I was that shit scared 
that I came because I just wanted to survive <laughs> and I just listened to him yeah. and I tried to tell him, like I think still now, I still tried to tell him and he doesn't believe it, like he thinks like it was an act of bravery, which was like, <laughs> it was literally an act of pussiness. <laughs> but, but no, but when it happened and, and, and I thought we were dead, it was until the chopper, this chopper comes and it was the long range one that was like, that was just, it was coming everywhere. And then you hear the chopper and the chopper has, you know, in like Scarface, you know, at the end where he goes, you say hello to my little friend. friend yeah. So they have like one, they had one of those on there that's like automatic. So it's just like, you couldn't even hear the chopper. You could just hear the I'm like, yes, sweet. But it's scary. Like no one really wants to go into combat. And like, I didn't see so much combat, but the- Did you lose friends there? No, I didn't, but I did in Lebanon, I saw guys, because in, in Golani there were entire, um, uh, I think you call it classes, like where they were wiped out, like they got ambushed in mosques. Um, and like I saw, there was a guy there that was just like, lost, had lost his head. He was just walking around right after the war. So like I saw what it did to some people and it does different things to different people. I've always managed, like from the stuff that I saw, which is, in comparison to what a lot of people are saying now is nothing. Yeah. Um, but I think some people deal with it differently. Like you can see less and it affects you more. Why did you leave after three years? The army, I finished that. And I went to get married to my well, first that, marriage. That was, that was so three years, I, I did it slightly less than three years because I was, I was a bit older. So it goes like, they knock off, I think like three months. Okay. It depends how, like from 18 and over if, when you come to Israel. And in, in that time, so how did you go? You've gone from being addicted to heroin. Daily. Mm. Did you still have the thoughts of, of drugs? Always. Even, still do. Still do now. Like when you say still do, I'm, it's like. Have you ever touched it again since? So I did one. Yeah, I did one time. One. I did one time um, when I came back during the army. So they they um, between after the Lebanon War. Um, I took my, so the army, if you're from overseas, they pay for you to go for your two, two weeks back to... Um, your family. Back to, yeah, your family, which is ironic because I, I wasn't really like, it was just to go back to my mates. And I came back home and I used one time just for old time's sake with a mate and I OD'd, um, woke up in the hospital and they had to give me Narcane. Like, I, lucky my mate actually bothered calling the ambulance because I'd be dead from that. Um, so there was that time, but outside of that, nah. But does it stop you thinking, probably less, like much less today, but it is a thing that you remember, like in one way or another. It's in, if, when you're in pain, physical or mental pain, it's a thing that sits in the back of your brain as remember that thing that can fix this. It's not, it's not like a conscious thought, but it's yeah, yeah. just, it's, it's there. You know that there's a fix that can do that. Yeah. But that also will destroy you. Destroy you. Like, you wouldn't, like, I have too much to live for I to do that. It, I remember when you, first, when you told me first time that you used to be addicted to heroin, I just found that so shocking. Yeah. Never would have. Because you don't think of, like, I think when you think of heroin addicts, you think of those junkies that I was yeah. hanging around instead of, and to be fair, there's not, not many, many people, people I know that, that, that survived it. it. Yeah. No. Come off it. So you've gone, so you've left the IDF, you go back to Australia. Yeah, I got married. You got married? My first time. Your first time? How many times have you been married? I've been married twice. Okay. First one was a bit rough. Okay. Oh, so uh, this is the first one? Yeah. Okay. This is the one that um, all my detractors love to talk about. Yeah, we'll get on to that. Let's get on to that. But that's, so where was she from? 
So she was um uh she she was Aussie, but Not she Jewish. was no no she was half Hong Konger and half Aussie like British Aussie so Aussie Aussie. Um, she I during that visit that I came to Australia, I hooked up with her. She was an old um, dance partner of my cousin in Sydney. She was a few years older than me. She I just needed somebody to translate in Portuguese to help me get tickets back to Israel because I did this whole. I did a bit of a scam, like I wanted I want to go to Thailand with a maid. So it's all in the book, it's a bit, it's, okay. <laughs> it's a bit funny. So I needed someone to translate in Portuguese because I had this dodgy connection for tickets and, and, um, and so she, tra- she helped me write these emails and that's where, that's where it started. I, I had like, yeah, I had, I was a kid, man. I was a kid, I was 19. How old was she? She would have been, uh, f- uh, she was five and a half years older than me. Okay. But I think it was a very big five and a half because it was, you know, she also had two kids. I was- She had two kids when you met her? She had two, two kids of her own. And I was like, and I had this savior, little savior complex, you know, she, I had this whole story of like, she, was, her, her ex, she just left her ex and he was like really abusive. Basically everything that was later said about me, I realized all the red flags were there. Mm-hmm. Let's just say everyone else saw the red flags, not me. Um, was because you were in love? Was you in love with her? I don't think I was ever in love with her. I no. think uh, I, I was. I, I think I always had my mummy issues. I was, I was. I was in love with the idea of a mum. Codependency. Um, but also, like I know, I knew it was wrong. I knew, like when she came, she came to visit me in Israel, um, in the second half of my service, like when when I was in Kfaraza. But and I just, I remember when I saw her, and I thought, what am I doing? But I, but I was just so deep. I dug myself into this thing and I just couldn't. Committed? I, I was committed as in like I felt too guilty to say no. I just went with it. Did you have children with her? Yeah, we had two kids. So you had two kids? So she had two kids with someone else? She's got we four have children? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we were married for like 10 years. Oh, so you, you carried on for 10 years, brother. Right. <laughs> I'm committed. <laughs> I convinced myself. Look, I didn't. You felt too bad. In I'll all, just go along nah, with this. Like I convinced myself. I didn't know. Look, also. I never had a healthy understanding of what relationships should look like. Like, re- remember my moral compass was, I thought breaking Shabbat was as bad as, uh, Robin. Ro- worse, you know, so, and I didn't know how people should be or what, what you do accept and what you don't. Like I was the biggest simp. I was literally, everything that I make fun of people now was me. You know Harry and Megan when I watch him? You were That was me, man. You was Harry. That 100%. It was me and I could So she was controlling you? Exactly, like it's like that. Yeah. And convinced me, you know, like it was a, if somebody asked me a question, I remember being told, no, you don't like, you don't like that. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't like that. Okay, no, I don't, I don't like that. But um, just, I didn't know. And I didn't know myself. I was, I got, ma- my first kid, I think, uh, no, I got married. We got married, I was maybe 21. Yeah, 21 to 31 I was married. 21, I didn't know myself at 21. Did you know yourself at 21? No, I'm a very, no I didn't know. I'm a very different person. Yeah, uh, um, yeah but I don't, I don't think anyone really knows themselves at 21. I don't think people should get married until they're over 30. That's what I've come to realise is, like I didn't want to, I, when I got out of that marriage, I was like, I'm never gonna do this again. Never. Because and, and then, yeah, but because I, I felt like I was like a massive 
weight off my, you know, off my chest. And like I was finally free. But then when I got into another relationship where I realised it's not, it's not suffocating, it's actually like having, like having a partner, having somebody to bounce things off, somebody that actually supports what you do, somebody that puts up with your, your, like your bad um, as well as your good. You know, when I realised that that's all actually what makes it a healthy relationship, then I just I signed up for it again. But also, like, I'm, I, I, I like being good at things. So I'm going to practice makes perfect. <laughs> you, um, and how, why did you, why did it end? You got divorced? Yeah, look, I, th yeah, I think, I think it was... Because I've seen this thrown at you, and you, were, yeah, you, look, wasn't able, I, you wasn't able to talk about this. I years, wasn't right? allowed to talk about it for years, and they knew it. Court injunctions. Yeah, I can't even, I'm not, right. I'm not allowed to even talk about why I'm not allowed to talk about it. Okay. But the, the point is, look, in a broad thing, and I explained it in the book, right, there's, the system's pretty messed up, especially in, like in Australia for sure, but um, it's probably similar here, where it's designed often with good intentions, but the way it actually is used is abused. Yeah, so, you know, when you break up, then, and, and there's a grudge there, the woman can take away the kids, make all these claims, you're guilty till you're proven innocent. And um, so like in this case, there was, you know, everyone talks about the chopping board. Like what I first say is even back then when I wasn't allowed to talk about it, can you read the story and read what you're reading th that allegedly happened? And number one, that you call me a woman basher is just such a ridiculous story that there's no bashing in there. It's that I allegedly threw a chopping board at my ex-wife in, in a heated argument. Now. I can tell you that it was a toxic relationship, both ways. It was not a relationship that should have ever happened. I, I do not ever want to be treated the way I was in that relationship and I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with anyone that I treated like I did in that relationship. But I never hit anyone in my life. Like I'm, especially, especially not my ex-wife, but I've never hit a woman in my life. And the, but what happens is they can, um, so uh, you get to a point where they go, I've just got to be careful that I don't get myself into trouble, right? So I'm just going to make sure I say it. Because when I wrote it in the book, I had to get it Legal, checked, legal. Yeah? And, and, and I wrote it. So the point is, I was given two options at a point, at a time, right? I'm fighting for my kids. Would um, you allow, did, she stop, did she stop you seeing the children? Yeah, couldn't have my kids. How long suddenly, have, how I had my kids half the time, and then suddenly, boom, couldn't see them and nothing, couldn't talk to them. Out, not knowing when you're gonna see them or talk to them, nothing, right? And then as part of that process, um, they throw allegations at you, right? And so essentially, what I was given was not, two, two options, right? I could fight to clear my name, which will take whatever the process of a criminal case, which is like- 12 months. 12 months, if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, and especially now, because it ended up being COVID. So 12 months, if I was lucky, it could be a couple of years and then fight for my kids. But also you've got to remember that, uh, uh, I'm not allowed to say that, fight, fight to see my kids, right? After, the, after I clear my name, or I could um, plead guilty to a summary assault, the lowest level of assault, cop the fine and uh, essentially see my kids almost immediately. And I chose that and I would choose it again, as embarrassing, you know, 
my kids over my pride. Like the most important thing in my life is my kids and being a part of their life and because I know that I'm actually a good influence on their life and I, and, and, and I, and, and I know how important that is and I just love them. Like I, I can't imagine not, like what's the point of living if I don't have them? So I don't have a part of it. So for me, it, was not a, it wasn't actually a choice. But obviously the media was sitting in that room, right? And they're also restricted on what they can report on this, but they can choose with, and they wrote, I, I knew it. They sat down and they wrote the headline, Avi Mini convicted of assaulting ex-wife. And, you know, and the funny thing is that the, I was actually convicted for two. I was, I, was, I was convicted for the assault that I never did. Um, what, what actually happened, it was like such a not nothing, right? It was such a nothing. It was that I slammed a chopping board on the table during, like... During a heated row. Yeah, piffing stuff. And, and uh, like, it may have hit her. I can't even remember, honest, but it wasn't anything. Like it was nothing. There was nothing. she never went to the doctor. Like the, the media were there. They'll go, oh, can we get the pictures and whatever? And the judge goes, what pictures? Because are there pictures? The media and and he ordered that they could have everything. And there was nothing. There was nothing. There was not even a doctor's thing. There was no, there was nothing. It never happened. I'm like, there is a lot of thing. I I've done a lot of things that you can criticize in my life. A lot of bad stuff. Like you know, especially my younger age. Hitting a woman was never one of them. Yeah. Um, but they jumped it's on. It's great the, for that. It's perfect for them. Oh, perfect, oh. because it's... A, it's like, yeah, you can... And, and the fact that go. they knew that I couldn't answer. So everybody took my silence for those years as an admission of guilt. And, and how is that? When you're watching the headlines... Oh, it's when the hardest. You, when you're watching Honestly, the Honestly, like, I've been called everything. Being called a woman basher is the worst because I hate women bashers. It's like... It's what, what's worse, like a pedophile's worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think of that, it's just... So you're having to read that and just... Oh, I just cop it. And it but it, it built me up, honestly. For, it was... Uh, that was 2009. Two, two and a half years, I just had to cop it. Until this book, I just copped it. And then you've finally been able to I've, have your say. It, it, to the extent that I can. And how many dads are out there going to listen to that? How many people are going to listen to that? You want to see your kids, you see your kids. Right. Yeah, and, and when I started talking about it, because I've made it my mission in life now to talk about those issues, how many men write to me going, I don't even believe that or anything else. Like, I don't care about the other stuff that you talk about. This is most... And I know the pain they're feeling because I went through it. Like, I know sitting there... How long did There was a night, there was a day, we, we, we call it the day we don't talk about. Me and Rhonda. So, like, you know Rhonda? Yeah, 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 my wife now. Your wife, yeah. And... We, we have this day we don't talk about, which is a day when, like, I'd been charged, I'd been, like, and I didn't know when I was getting my kid. I think I was, I think I was just about to start work. It was right before I started working for TR News. Yeah. And I just broke down. Like, I was just like, I was on the floor bawling my eyes out. And I tell you now, if I didn't have Rhonda, um, I probably, I, I probably would have offed myself. Like it, it was that real, and that's why I can understand the suicide. What you rates. thinking about that? hundred percent suicide. Hundred percent. But the only thing that stopped, like, made me just is, is that she was there. So, um, like, like I think there's a massive problem, and 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 I know that the problem is beyond me because I went, I went through the whole process and everything, and I and I got to meet a lot of other men being put through this thing, you know, like I signed up to these men's behavioral change courses, right? They have them in Australia, right? It's, it's the biggest way they fight back against domestic violence, the men's behavior change course. And every man that's doing it is actually just doing it for what, whether it's his criminal or child custody battles, whatever it is, 
They're doing it just for the certificate. It's a 20 week course. So they're either audited it or they're doing it because their lawyer says, yeah, I'll get it because it's good, good for the court, right? Everybody's story is the exact same. So this is where the government funds everything. This is all the funding goes to this bullshit course that's telling you about. And I would sit there like, you know me, I can't shut up. And I would sit there and I would go, okay, but, because like the first thing when I sat, go to this course, right, they, 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 they there's five pages of, um, they say fill out this form one to five, how much of this you do, because this is what they consider domestic violence, right? Physical violence is one out of maybe a hundred things on their list. And I filled that out and I was completely honest on everything and I go, do you know what the funny thing is here? If you gave this to my ex and she filled it out as honestly as I did, and you and you and in the dynamic you had to say one, like you were comparing them, you'd say one is the abusive one, it wouldn't be me. One is a domestic abuser, it wouldn't have been me. And I'm sitting there going, but the funny thing is you don't have the equivalent course for, for women. women. There is no women's behavior change. You're talking about emotional abuses, way more emotional abuse uh, things. Family and alienation, that's like one of the top ones, family and alienation. Man, I was never allowed to see my family. My kids were never... How, how, long, how, long how long didn't you see your kids for? How long, how long was it? Um, so it was about a year. This was at the start of working with me, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were there when that all happened to me. Yeah. And so it was about a year, the process tool. And, and that was quick. That was quick. My lawyers were like... You, so you didn't see your children for a year? Um, well, to, really? towards the end, I got to see them like every fortnight under... I had to have Rhonda there because I was such... Remember, I was, I was good enough to raise somebody else's kids, but then when... Because it all started, that all happened to me when I hooked up with Rhonda, when I made public. And that's normal, like, it happens a lot. Right? When you, so, yeah. so you've moved on, got a new missus. Yeah, and then, boom, I got hit with all that. And, and it, was, it was... It's a formula they follow, right? And they all... Everyone... When I, went, when I just met all these other guys, it's like... It, in which order exactly it happens sometimes changes, but every move is made. And the funny thing is the lawyers were telling me, the lawyers tell them what to do. The lawyers tell them this is how you do it because the, the system is designed to protect vulnerable women, which like I can understand that. And no, no judge also doesn't want to be the one that puts the woman that, in the position. That puts, yeah, that ended up, the, the, the woman gets killed or something happens yeah. to the kid and he was the one. So they make the issue. It's just, it's, and, and like, if I was actually able to talk about it, the intricate parts of it, you people would be blown away. I, you know what? I never understood the problem until it happened to me. I remember, you know Sydney Watson? Yeah. Yeah, so she, she did a, a rally once years ago and she once came, she came to me, like I, she was a mate of mine and she goes, oh, I'm doing a rally. You know, it was a Wednesday. She goes, I want to do a rally on Saturday for men's rights. I'm like, oh, it wasn't an issue I cared about, right? And I just go, okay, cool. I, I just thought like, if, mm. if you're, where there's, what is that? Where there's um, smoke, there's probably fire. Like, if you're getting charged with shit, you're probably a piece of shit. Yeah, that's what mm. I thought. Anyways, it was Wednesday, it was for Saturday. Saturday the rally came, and it was the biggest conservative rally that I'd ever seen, and I'd gone, like, I couldn't understand why. Because conservatives never, especially back then, before COVID, they never, rallying was a left-wing thing. Conservative never came to the street. Here, it was huge, and it was like, Men. There were so many men, and, and there were so many men, and, and they were—they looked normal to me, and I just didn't understand it. And it all clicked when it happened to me, and I realised that there, there is this like, and it's not just in Australia. I've I got so many mates in the same position, same, crying their eyes out on the phone to me, can't see the kids, can't see, and like you—you you can either give up. That's the thing. Which like, some of them have done. My, yeah. I've got mates as well who've just—they've given up. I, I think I think that's part of it. Like women, like I I I, I dare say, 
my ex probably thought I was going to give up. And who knows, if I didn't have Rhonda, I either would have offed myself or left. Like, I, I don't know, because you just, I couldn't, um, like it was expensive. The, the process was, was... Tens of thousands. More than that. Mm. Much more than that. It was a lot. And, but even more, like I would give up anything for it. It was the unknown and it was the injustice of it that I was always a good dad. I was never that. I never wanted to be a bad parent because I had what I would consider very average parenting, mm. at least like lack of love. Like, oh, I want my kids to always feel loved. I don't, you know. Anyway, I got past it. The, they, um, they weaponized my, a personal part of my life that I could talk about and one that was complete bullshit, but. At, at that low point, at that low point, did you contemplate drugs again at that low? Or is that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about it now. Probably not, because I don't, I don't think drugs... It, it, like, it probably in the way that I said that it, it was probably sitting in the back of my head, mm. but not... Like, I, it, I was in a different... I was on my way up, yeah. and you could feel that, because I, I hit rock bottom. I'd, I, you know, I'd just come out of... So the, it was 18 months after I, I separated from my ex, because that's when I like announced my, and things were starting to look good for me. That's why like I, I put a photo of me and Rhonda on, on Instagram or something, which is what triggered, triggered it. it. And so things was just starting to get better for me. And I, I just got rid of my gyms and I was starting to do stuff that I liked, even though I was pretty average at it at the time now that I look back and cringe at some of the videos that we did. <laughs> but, um, you know, things were starting to get better for me. And I had a, I had a relationship that I actually was like enjoying um, so, um, what, I, what, yeah. what come out of court? You, you, you then got an agreement that you see your children. I can't say that, but okay. It, what came out at the uh, so now I see my kids, and yeah, it, it, was uh, you concerned in that year that she turned the kids against you? She tried to turn the kids 100%. against you. Was that fear? And, and it, uh, it was a hundred. It, it wasn't even that. Like I, it she, was hard for me when I, like I was a very involved parent, and then I didn't get to see my kids, and I couldn't that, imagine it. And then and then when I talked to them, they were. You know, it obviously has an effect on them. Like, they were a bit... But now, thank God, yeah, they're, they're good. Like, it's... I don't know what I would do if they weren't. You just... Uh, they're the only things that actually matter. What was you doing for work, Abby? When? At, that, at this time. So, so I had the gyms... So, there was, so when, I, when, when I came back to Australia and got married on that, we started a uh, PT gym. Personal training? Yeah, personal training. Did you get bang on your fitness? Was you into your uh, fitness or was this uh, simply from... No, no, no. I was, I was real fit. I was real... Because I had shoulder Rico when I was younger for jumping out of a moving van. Another whole story. And I had like... So I used to have to do like my um, physio exercises all through the army, right? And even when... Like when you're in the army during basic training, advanced training, you've got to do weeks, what they call... Uh, field weeks, right? Where you're out in the field, you're, and, and you basically, you're hardly given any sleep. It's part of your training, right? So what would happen is, is you know, if you get half an hour in the day, everybody would just conk out on the, on the floor, on the dirt, and, and go to sleep. I would tie a, a little ribbon, a little elastic to a tree, and start doing these little exercises because I, the army didn't know about my shoulder. Because I had to, I could only, I could only tell them about my ankle, or I wasn't going to be able to be a combat soldier. So I never told it, and I just started this routine. So all that got me into was a, a routine, no matter what, always training. 
And then I got really fit, like I said, then I started adding push-ups. And as like training ended and you were deployed, you had more time to exercise. And I started training and people started joining me in training. So I created this um, kind of group and that was the idea. From that came the idea that actually my ex-wife came up with was to do a PT course, a personal training course when I come back, certification. And then we all decide what, we ended up opening a personal training gym, which was called IDF Training, which was like you a called it, You called it IDF? Yeah, it was like a play on words. It was individual okay. diet and fitness with an IDF soldier, right? And we, we, we started um, promoting that and all these people were calling me about Krav Maga. And I was like, fuck, there's a market here. Like no one, like people were fine, we're gonna come for PT, but that was me having to work. So I started like hiring um, Krav Maga guys from Israel and ended up building like two uh, pretty like popular, they were certainly the most publicized gyms in the country. Like I, ha I figured out the whole media game. That's how, that's how I first learned how the media landscape works and how bullshit it was. I learned how to create press releases and stories out of nothing just to get my gym into the paper or into the TV every single week. You've got it from your dad, mate. The yeah, they're manipulating. They're manipulating the system. <laughs> but it, it really showed me because I realised, like, I became this counter-terrorism expert. Like, they would literally bring me up as a counter report you. Because I owned a couple of PT gyms and, like, I just put out press releases and I realised how, how full shit. And that's, and that's what sort of got me into it because when one of the uh, Gaza... When one of the Gaza um, operations happened, and then I saw, like I wasn't, I didn't really know, I wouldn't have been able to tell you the difference between uh, Labour and Liberal for us, or for you, it's Tories and mm. Labour. I wouldn't have known, I, I would not have known the difference. That was the same as me. Back in, uh, what is it, 2010. I wouldn't have known it. But then, um, when they started, when, when it was, when ABC, so the Australian um, state broadcaster was like reporting, I was watching like how they were reporting the Gaza, a bit like what's happening now, but it was exactly where I was stationed. I was like, I see how they're manipulating this story. Mm. And so I started writing on our Facebook, and at the time I think it had like 60,000 followers, which was like huge at that time for, a, for a gym. gyms. Mm. It was the most popular online gyms, right? And I just started voicing my opinion as somebody that had been there, that had served there, about what was going on. And, um, you know, some people hated me for it, of course, like you see now. It, was, it was probably wasn't as intense as it is now, but, um, but I didn't care because I said, you know, they were saying, oh, you, I like your gym, but you're, I go, mate, you want to learn the Israeli army self-defense system, but you don't want to support the methodology behind it, which is essentially what Krav Maga is built on, the ideas, the fundam fundamental ideas of self-defense, which is what, what the whole Krav Maga system is about. It's the idea of train armies, system that's built on the whole idea. Okay, if you don't like that, go learn Wing Chun, I don't know, go somewhere else, go do MMA, whatever. I didn't care, but then I, I think I found my voice. I kind of liked what, I, I was probably watching a lot of your stuff. You were um, uh, you were turning me into an extremist. <laughs> I was radicalizing Radicalizing me. <laughs> um, but I, I think I found my voice at that time and I got excited by that. And I'm a bit of, like, I, I think the theme you see through there is I'm an attention seeker and I liked it. But, You've got attention now. Yeah, yeah. But then, then, <laughs> then, then after the whole operation, people, members of the gym were like, oh, did you really reckon you should be using your business to promote? When I was talking about other political to promote issues. promote your politics. Yeah, politics. It, was, it wasn't, like, I can't really call it politics because I had no idea what I was talking about. I was just 
voicing my opinion on anything that was in the news, which is similar to what I do now, but it was probably a lot less. Because you're, you're opinionated. Yeah, I was always opinionated. I just had no idea what I was talking about back then. Um, and so then that, I thought they were right, and I opened my first Facebook page, and I told people, anyone that wants to see my political opinions, it'll be on this page. And hundreds of thousands of people followed that one until they pulled it. But... Um, and then why did the gyms end? Which I hated it. You know what? I woke up every morning with those gyms. That whole period, I hated every day going to work. I'm, I'm, I'm best mate. My best mate now is like he, he, he worked with at my gym. He's like a heavyweight um, pro, one of the first pro MMA fighters in, in Australia, half Maori, half Jew. Um, and we laugh about how I used to wake up every morning. I'd be there from 6 a.m. to you know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Then I'd go home to a toxic relationship. So it was, a, it, it was a hard time in my life and I was excited to get rid of it and do what I wanted to do. Which then become journalism. Yeah. So what year was this? Because when was the first time I heard of you? I think the first time I heard of you was when I was in jail. It was probably, two, two, when were you in jail? 17. 217, yeah. So, that, so that at that point I was working with Debbie Robinson. I had like oh, the, I met Debbie. Yeah, Debbie. Debbie's lovely. Yeah, she was good. She, man, she's one of the most, and I actually give her a mention in the book because I think... She's lovely. She's one of the most, uh, like in this game, you, you meet a lot of people that do it for whatever reasons. Yeah. She was one of the most genuine people. She would rally back in the old days mm. against jihadis like alone would walk up to the pro-Palestinian rallies. Like they're not new, they're, they might be a lot bigger than they were, but she would walk straight up to them with an Israeli <laughs> back in the older. She was fearless. Um, so I was working with them until, I, until you got out of jail for a, a bit there and then I joined. And essentially, because I, I think I must have been in jail and someone said, there's, there's this guy called Avi. We were doing the rallies around Australia. He's holding rallies around Australia, big rallies. We, we did weekends, I, I write about it. Like we, went, we did a weekend where we did like whole Australia, like we just jumped off a plane, drove down to think, mate, we'd drive down and you'd hear blocks away, hey, Tommy, Tommy. Mental. Like, you knew you were Mental. getting there. Yeah. For and me we, as well, because at that time, I remember I was sitting in jail. I was sitting in jail and I'm getting updates constantly from the, from, from the screws. And because even in the first few weeks, because I was, I was getting updates from the screws, and they're saying, like, mate, it's going, it's going off, it's in Australia, it's in America, There's, this is happening. I'm just sitting there in the cell thinking, really? But I couldn't envisage what it looked yeah. like. And then he said, there's tens of thousands outside Parliament, there's a, a plane has wrote, wrote free Tommy above Sydney Harbour yeah, Bridge. Yeah, that was one of our guys. That was it? one of yeah. your guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> Fuck off. They got a lot of complaints. I got the picture, because yeah. I then yeah. got the picture set in. So on my cell wall, I had a picture. Free, <laughs> free Tommy above like, Sydney Bridge. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, this is mad. Yeah. But that's the first time I heard about you. And then I've come out, we've got in contact. Um, and then you started doing journalism. Yeah. So whilst Ezra, because I thank Ezra, for the fact that he he pushed me in the direction of journalism, I've then watched you absolutely explode. Like even last the last two years, so yeah. you're big when you was with when when you were working with us, but then you've gone to a whole new level and a whole new demographic of support. I think as well. Yeah. I think you've, you've look, I, I I think one of the things I learned is not to do anything for that crowd. Mm. It's probably one of the things I respect about you. You've all, you know I've seen so many people in this industry who will do won't actually stand for for what they really believe because for them it's most important 
the following, the clicks, the growing the the fan base. The Whereas I I learned doing it is stick to what you believe in. So whether it was COVID, you know, all these people in COVID are like, oh sweet, I've been saying exactly what we think, and you know, if it's something that they don't agree with, then they'll. It's very easily. It's very easy to go. Oh wait, I'm gonna back down. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And that's something that you. There's not many people, Debbie Robinson, you, Laura Luma. There's certain people that I've. And there's, there's a bunch of them. Uh, like I was talking about Jordan Peterson as well. Like I think there's people there that ha, will stand by. And doesn't necessarily have to be someone I agree with. Like I even. No, you just couldn't I, admire people. I admire even people on the other side the that same. stick as long as they're consistent. Some right? Muslim lads, I think. Yeah, if they're consistent with their thing. But what I what I find most nauseating, and it's coming out a lot lately is the people that, you know, acted so staunch about a certain issue because it was okay. Like in the right wing, uh, in Trump's era, it was cool to be pro-Israel. And all the biggest anti-Israel haters now from the right were the biggest pro, many of them were the biggest pro-Israel supporters during Trump's era. And it's easy to hate Israel. Yeah, it's They're doing what's easy. A hundred percent it's It's like, it's not easy to come out on the side of Israel. No It's not easy to speak about Islam. It's not easy to talk about these things. They 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 It's the wave Palestinian flag. Yeah, they act. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It's easy. But I'm talking about the guys on the right, they they acted like they were being all thing back in the day, controversial by standing by Israel. It's like, mate, it was in in your echo chamber, it was was cool back then. And now that same echo chamber, it's turned cool to go against Israel. And those same people, <laughs> I just look at it and go, but you get to see that. And, and, and I think the most important, so it's not about, I guess I was only got to that because you were talking about how it blew up. Yeah, it blows up. And then you just, you just keep doing what you're doing. I think I learned my, um, I learned what I like to do. Like I remember I used to watch in the beginning, I used to watch a lot of you and I used to try to emulate you. And that got me into a lot of trouble. It got you into a lot of trouble. <laughs> but I think it got me into a lot of trouble because it wasn't even me. Like, it was, like what's my style? You've got a great style. My, my style is like banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way to the end, no matter how inappropriate almost it, it, it becomes, right? There's obviously telling stories, but then when it was like the, the confrontations, like the ones that I used to watch, you go, oh, what a legend, I'm going to do that. And then I'd go off and I'd go, like, I'd watch my original stuff and I'd go, Gosh, look at me, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> like, I just look angry. You develop and you grow you up. Develop. No, you, you develop, no. You develop, you're I, learning I, I say it in the book, I say in there that, you know what, I, would be, I wouldn't be happy if I looked back at my stuff and go, oh yeah, I love that still, because then you haven't grown. Yeah. yeah. And how, when you started doing journalism, what was your experience with the media? The media, oh. I think the first hits I, co- I really copped was when I was with, you know, when I was the spokesman and they, um, they, oh, they went hard at me. It was, uh, you, look, but I already, I came from the position of where I saw how easily the media was manipulated. Like anyone could manipulate the media if you know what they're looking for. Like if you own a business and you put, if you understand what most of the media is. The, all the media does is it reprints press releases, whether it's from governments, corporations, or clever p- individuals that realize what a PR companies do. All PR companies do is they, they create these stories to get you get your company. And, and people pay millions of dollars, like companies pay millions of dollars for that. But that's 99% of what you see in the mainstream media is just a reprinted press release. 
um, whether it's in video format or not. Or not. So I realised they were full of shit going into it. So I was never really afraid of them. And I didn't care. I like the attention to talk about me. As long as you're talking about me, I don't care. Yeah. But I think I learned, and I say it in the book, I think I learned from what I see as your mistakes, not fighting back fast enough. Because mm. they managed, like, th- what they managed to do to you, like, I know you as a person, and people still tell me, oh, how are you with Tommy Robinson? He's like, like, mate, you don't even know him. You just know what you read about him on a, on a story that was pre-designed by For the reason. state to ruin him. Like, I, I know him, like... They don't even know that I know you. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there are people today when I retweet something of yours and they'll just tell me, do you even do you know, know who, who this guy is? is? Like, well, I had my mate Dean, a black lad, and he's in London and he's at work. And he's got all these people who are telling him what I'm like. Yeah. He, he's a black lad and he's like, he's my mate since I was this big. You don't fucking know him. You've yeah. got no idea what yeah. he's like. I've known him 30 years. What are you talking but they, about? The, 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 the funny thing is they do that about everyone. Like, I once went to a project before Benji was my cameraman, like before he was my full-time cameraman. I had, I used to just use people per hour. In fact, when I was working for you, like we used to hire person people per hour. And I once, and one, one, I think he was associated maybe to the Proud Boys or whatever, I don't really know, but whatever. We rock up to this rally and Antifa guys, they look dead. They look at me and they say to me, how can you be friends with him? He's, he's a, he's a full Nazi as a Jew. And like two seconds later, they look at him, they go, how can you be friends with him? He's uh, I can't remember which, which one of their slurs they had at the time. I don't want to, and I just looked at these guys and I go, hold on, which one of us shouldn't be friends with the other one? Because you're just, you're literally turning to both of us and yeah. saying, how can you? Because he's so <laughs> evil. Like, you really need to pick up. But that's what they do to everyone. Yeah. That's what they try to do. They, they, they try to make people feel guilty. Like, to, they try to, to cancel you. Yeah, to, toxic. To they make you toxic. And they make uh, you yeah, toxic. Yeah. And, and, and I think when what I saw happen to you made me realise I can't let that... Because that can happen to anyone. Like, they can twist anything, make somebody so toxic that one, you're not allowed to even put his photo on your social media. Like, that... I literally lost my Instagram account for putting a photo of us. It's mad, it's a, that's a whole new level of insanity when it comes yeah. to censorship. But for some reason, I don't know, they tried that on Andrew Tate. It didn't work. It didn't work on him, and not only, like, I think it grew, but I think you know when, when they Islam can- is smart. When they, can- when they cancelled him, he missed, when they cancelled me, he said, he said they've picked the wrong person. Yeah? When, when he got, got cancelled, he messaged me saying, I'm going to break them, break them. He goes, they've picked the wrong person to try and censor. I'll sit, and I sat there naively. I said, mate, I think you're a bit un- underestimating how difficult this is going to be. And I sat there and watched him go through the roof. But, but I don't understand because they didn't cancel him like you were still allowed to put his photo up. Uh, Facebook, no. Oh, Facebook, you're not no, allowed to put Facebook, his photo up. No. And then, no, Facebook, he's, got, he's, on, he's on the same list as me for Meta. From, from Meta? Yeah. Really? So what he done was very clever is using this Hustlers oh, University and getting the people to, so making all the shorts I know, but, and then getting accounts but, but, but you did that in the beginning to a degree, yeah. but it was stopped in the fact that, that no one was allowed to post anything of yours. So if they posted something of yours, they, they got banned. Yeah. That happened to me, yeah. right? So I didn't understand how he got past that. Like TikTok... Because I, they still, because it takes them a while to still cancel it, because, because by the time they cancel those accounts, or get round to cancel that account. It's already had two, three million views. Yeah, and so his videos were going viral every day. Yeah, and he's got accounts all over the world, just yeah. uploading, uploading, uploading. Yeah. And, and he had money, a lot of money. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of money to organise himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Look, and I think also when he was cancelled, that Rumble was already in place. Yeah, yeah, so there was alternative, so a, people went straight Whereas when you did it, it was... Because yeah. you were on the internet when it was the Wild West. Yeah. So, and that's like... I almost regret being there when when it was the end of the Wild West because that's what got you, me into trouble is like knowing you could say whatever the, whatever you want, do whatever you want, probably not thinking through the way I would say something like mm. well, some of those videos today are embarrassed. Not, not talking about the videos I made, like even the, like the debates we were talking about Muhammad hijab and mm. all that. Like I'm like I I reckon today I would just handle it so much better because I wouldn't come off looking like a knob. Yeah. yeah. What about, um, do you think, because obviously you got involved with our journalism, our journalism was focusing on certain issues, so your demographic of support would have been from a certain base. Mm. When you started working for Rebel and you exploded essentially yeah. over COVID, to do with COVID and lockdowns, did you see the base change? Did 100%. you? Yeah, can you explain that to me? Well, Because like, I, I saw it, I saw lots of people, I saw comments, I followed everything you do, Avi, I watched, yeah. uh, and I saw comments from people who disliked you. Yeah. Due to your politics with me, but then loved you. Yeah. For well, this. I got I got hate. I got people on the streets. <laughs> like I saw people. I met people at protests during COVID who said they used to protest, protest against, against me. <laughs> and they go and and the funny thing is they were at a protest then that the same people that they used to protest against me with were now protesting them. So the Antifa was protesting. Yeah, in, in Melbourne like that. It's just a really weird time to think. Antifa was protesting against anti-lockdown people because yeah, yeah, they were yeah. saying they were far right. State, right? It yeah. was just so weird. It was all so weird. Anyway, um, but yeah, definitely. Like, I, I, you know, when I worked with you, like a lot of people knew who I was. In, like, I'm talking about Australia in the street. Like, I'd bump into people. But then after COVID, it was like you go anywhere now. What's it, it was, like? It was kind of Tell like how like. I remember you being. Walking around the streets, it's like there's, every time you go out, somebody comes and says hi because somebody wants a photo, and that's what it became. It'll be interesting now. I have not, I have no idea if the hate I'm getting for my reporting on Israel. No, is that real, won't, no, it won't manifest. Because they're not the ordinary people. I don't, I don't think it is. You're not going to see that. I, I, I don't. I, my, my gut says not. That's the vocal left that. I'm not the average person walking down the street, but they're very loud on I don't know if it's just the left, like it is, there's definitely the element of the right there, and there's obviously the, the Muslim, like most of the Muslim world's um, into the, but they've always been the Palestinian thing. So I, I, I don't know, I do, I, if I had to bet, I would say that it probably hasn't changed really in reality on the ground, because most people don't actually really care about Palestine or Israel. Like the average- Are you concerned by this? About what? About what reaction you're gonna get? Um, da, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm just let's, for let's, my let's, wife. Like. Let's explain this. So, yeah. so at the minute, yeah. So you've gone from hit, hit, you feel like everyone's saying you're a hero with COVID, yeah. Lockdowns. You've then just gone to Israel after the, after what's happened with Hamas, and you're reporting. Yeah. And some people are, and you'll get you're getting how much hate? Like uh, a lot. Like Rhonda's a bit nervous. Like I had to your wife go and get a lot of security upgraded for the house just so she. Are you feel, receiving threats? What well, heaps. Yeah. Heaps, but that's not new. The thing is, it's a, it's a, see, I, we were talking about this. I, I don't know if it's to the same volume I was getting back in those days, but I just wasn't as known. So, you, you did, but this is intense. Now, I can do two things. I can 
stop talking about it. I guess stop being biased, as they say, about the Israel-Palestine issue. Um, or I can just keep doing what I think is right, which is what I'll do. And that's not only because I'm a Jew or because I'm uh, uh, Israeli or my family. It's literally the, the, I believe in the depth of my gut that it's the right thing. And there's, having said that, there's a lot of people, like some of the reports that we did in Israel has got millions of views. There's obviously reaching people, but it's... It's upsetting some. Oh, it's upsetting a lot. And yeah, what do you do? I don't know, you've been through that. But like even when I went with you, I remember back then, I used to be surprised, I used to go, barely did I see anyone say something hateful. Here and there you had um, more Antifa kind of things uh, trying to track you down. But in reality, like even, I remember, and I taught, I actually, it's in the book where I remember we were at, uh, I think it was a train station or a mall or something. And this Muslim guy, this Muslim like lad comes up to you and wants a selfie, and, and you said, oh, what's it? he goes, oh, it's for the boys, the bands. Yeah. And you go, for the bands, and then you took his phone and did like a whole video with him. Yeah, yeah. And I go, why did you do that? He goes, oh, I love lads like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I want to see how many dislikes I can get from my mates for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Oh, I had it before, I'm sat in a Muslim restaurant in Luton, man, and I see some lad, and he's pretending to take pictures of, there's all Islamic writing behind me, and he's pretending to take pictures of the wall, and I said, bruv, I know what you want. You want a picture of me with this Arabic writing behind me, right? I said, just happily take your picture, bruv. How do you, you want me? He's like, oh, Tommy, thanks, man. That's what I wanted from <laughs> <laughs> He took this photo. But my, my, my actual reception that I receive off Muslims is very surprising. Yeah. I don't receive that much hate anymore. Yeah. I don't they stopped hating me. They stopped hating me. It seems like they stopped hating me. They, they stopped hating me. I, I, I dare say now they No, yeah, you're, it's obviously going to peak. Yeah. But I mean, per se, even the ones who disagree with me, they just talk to me. Yeah. I, I got on the train to Luton the other day. Gee, a Muslim lad sits down in front of me. I was going through Luton. When I was on the way to court, I'm on my own. I'm going through Luton. Loads of Muslims getting on the train. He goes, oh, I never thought I'd be sitting opposite you, Tommy, man. And this, this is mad. And then another Muslim lad gets in, and then he's just like, right, Tommy. That's what I get. It's like, all right, lads. How you doing, lads? Don't really get much hate. Yeah. Mad, isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 I think after COVID, like even at COVID, because that's the thing, even my, my, um, perception of the Muslim community after COVID, because I realised, you know, I always thought the before COVID, they were the biggest threat to our democracy. Yeah. And then COVID happened, and I was like, holy crap, these guys were the first on the front line defending, freedom. defending our freedom, right? <laughs> and and I, like I bumped into a lot of them, they go, Ali, I love your stuff. I don't, I don't agree with your Israel stuff, but everything else, you're, you're bang on. Like almost everything else. And your personality, they probably like an addition. Yeah, 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 one of the boys, right? Um, but now I dare say that they're just super passionate about this one, so see where that happens. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So you now, where do you see yourself going with journalism? Literally have no idea. Do you plan ahead? No. Nah. Do you love it? I do, I love doing it. Look, I, Which I, is great, I, the last it's couple great of, if you found a career. That... Yeah, yeah, I, I love doing it. I think the, the part that I love most is, you know, like the old streeters and the... the, the That's what I love. The, going out to the protests and to, you know the banter there. I also like going to things like Davos and that was catch, great. Uh, catching up with like no, people great. that you never get. It was great. Yeah, that, 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 that's the stuff I like. But I think I less enjoy what I've been doing the last few weeks. But that's just probably on a on a number of levels. The fact that one, 
It's just a shitty story. Like, it's a painful one, seeing what actually happened there. Two, being up against everyone. So that, like like, no, I've got a taste of what it is to be Tommy Robinson. Mm -hmm. The left, the right, the entire Muslim world, yeah. uh, all the COVID people who think they're so awake and that they're going so far against the agenda when they're literally just repeating, regurgitating the agenda. Mm. And they say that about me, like, it's just my, so it's tiring. Um, but like everything, I know, like, this is a story at the moment. It's all going to pass. And when it's, when it's done. It's going to get a lot hot first, though. Oh, yeah. The, the things, are gonna, things are about to get hot for a bit. But I think once that's done, people, people are fickle. That's what I've learned. People, when you're saying what they want to hear. They're all, you're great. I'm talking about. I had this, I had this of Andrew Tate of a lot of my own supporters. Yeah. I had this Andrew Tate. A lot, of, a lot of my own support base. In fact, 30% of my reoccurring monthly subscribers yeah. unsubscribed. For what? Because when he got arrested, I made videos standing up saying... Supporting. It, yeah, saying it's yeah. not right. So I'm not saying this. I, I, I think it's awful that he's converted to yeah. Islam, yeah? What, and I think it's bad and it's dangerous to be telling the next generation of children to follow this, way, this certain way. But I believe... When he got arrested, I knew 100% that certain things being said were lies. Yeah. I also know Andrew Tate. I also know lots of people that know him. My friend lived in that house in Romania with him for a year. Yeah. The first thing I've done is ring my friend. What's the story here, bruv? What's going yeah. on? Well, tell me that there ain't... And then, so I made a video just saying, look, you're being lied to and you're deciding to buy it. Now, it wouldn't matter if it's Andrew Tate or if it's bloody Anjum Chowdhury. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah. And the state getting involved and doing what yeah. they're doing, which they seem to take down everyone, Andrew Tate, Russell Brand, at the time, and so I made my video strongly saying, question everything, basically. Yeah. Question everything you're being told. Yeah. That was it. But lots of, my, lots of people get upset. I'm, yeah, they get upset. And then, a, but then the funny thing is, the next day, if you say something that they like again, yeah. they're back on board. Most, m most of that group. Then, then like, but the majority, majority of people, they either see, see this stuff, like they see a bit, some content of yours, yeah. and, you, and it makes them think, and they go, oh, I never thought of it like that, or they yeah, just go, oh, that's, that's, oh, that's entertaining. And they see you in the street, they don't feel like they don't feel one way or the or another about your particular beliefs. What about um, I think it's quite amusing that because I'd say you're probably the, you must be the most watched journalist in Australia. Oh, maybe. Say, alternative, but, at least, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I don't know. There's Sky News. They, they probably get. Uh, Sky News are good in Australia. Yeah, Sky News Australia Sky News is, is, is more, totally especially after dark, they're like conservatives. Yeah. They probably get some views. Like, uh, alternative media for sure. Um, I don't know. Look, I, I used to focus on the, the numbers, but now we have, I have, we have a million platforms and all I focus on is like create the content. And get out. And, and get it out there. And, and, and sometimes like, like while I was in Israel now and, and I was like, like it's been hard mentally, physically, like everything about this story. And then I thought, oh, and like I saw on my YouTube, I'm like, I'm not even really getting any views. People don't even, people aren't really interested. Like, like making me even internally then question, question myself. Question, is it worth me putting myself is it through myself, this? Is it worth me? And then I, I, I went onto like the Rebel Face, Rebel News Australia Facebook page, and I got onto the video channel. Like, Holy crap! That's got three point. That's got four point eight million views. It's probably all Muslims like hating them, but <laughs> <laughs> pissing them off. Four point no. eight million pissed off people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was some that it couldn't have been hateful, and it was and and just like really big numbers. I'm like, ah, oh, and that's satisfying because you know you're 
You know you're reaching, like you're yeah, doing it for a reason. Which is my so. hardest thing with getting censored. It's yeah, the hardest yeah. thing to swallow. Yeah. Because you yeah. go from, then you sort of like the fire in the belly. In my belly was, yeah. yeah. I remember when you used to go on lives, like in two minutes you had 10,000 people watching live. Yeah. What? 30,000 I remember once when I just went live on Facebook. And then, you, and then you're talking to a couple of thousand people on some Russian social media platform. It's like, come on. It's, yeah, it's hard to find the... So that's the thing that Tate did right, is it... Because it was all there, yeah. It was all there and he was able to move people at quick. least across quick. Mm. And that was like... Which is great for everyone, though. That's great. Yeah. That's great. No, for no, that's, what, that's, that's... Look, I think that no matter what happens, the landscape is shifting and there's parts of it that's hard. Like, I look at Twitter now. Like, I'm, I, you know, Twitter weirdly is allowing people to talk, you know, fairly freely about issues, but not letting people like you back. But some of the top accounts spared so much more nonsense than, than you ever could have been. My mate, my mate rang me up and goes, bruv, everyone says worse than you now. Way uh, worse uh, on Way Twitter. worse, man. He yeah. goes like, I'm seeing so many accounts now. He goes, and mainstream accounts who are saying far more extreme stuff than you ever said. A hundred percent. Why do you think Elon Musk? What, what, what? Uh, why, 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 why do you think I, I'm not allowed on I, there? I tagged him a few times. Um, why, why does he... I, I think that... Um, I think, like, there's certain people like you, Alex Jones, um, who else are ones that say, Gavin mm. McGuinness. Think, what you guys all have in common is that the mainstream media successfully... Made you. Made you that toxic that it, it will be hit or it, it's perceived that maybe you're the ones that will be... Because there'll be such an uproar from the, 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 the entire the government, government, the government, mainstream media, that, that that will be the thing that um, will we'll get it banned from iOS or governments will, will point to that when they're talking about legislations or like that. It has to be something like that because surely it, should, it, it, should, it, should be it winds me up because I think we'll stop talking about free speech then, bro. Stop saying you're a platform for free well, speech. Well, he also he also says on there like it's free speech is not freedom of, 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 of reach or one. Look, there. Are, I've got to say this way. Part of my um, thing is with uh, Twitter or X since it's thing like there's been a lot of positive and there's still some really annoying um, negatives. Like the fact that they won't let you, you know. I, I think right now you're an important voice on Twitter. You know, to counter that crazy right that's taken a lot of, probably convincing a lot of the people that used to listen to you yeah. of much worse ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that that rubs me up the wrong way that, that that's still going on. And, and and the fact is, like, I I think either you're going to have the free speech or not. Like, I don't think that they should cancel those guys that that I'm seeing. That like, I've just muted them. I've literally gone to people yeah. that I used to follow through COVID, and probably people have done it to me. They've gone and muted, and that, fine. That's the way it should be. Um, there's that, there's also some of the functions have been a bit ridiculous. Like, you know what he did? I don't know, and uh, like this to me, seems like the dumbest thing. I don't know, maybe I'm stupid, Don't but they, they changed the way the, the views come up for videos, right? So now it has like views, but it's not really the views, it's just like the reach, right? And then you have to click it, as the person that posted and see the insights to see how many real views it's got. But before, you know when you post on Twitter a video and somebody goes and then holds it down, like re-embeds it, holds it down and publishes it as their own, the views the would cover up. Yeah. So then you would see the views across 
Doesn't matter how many people reshare your repost their, your video as their original video. It just keeps the views it keeps, on that one video. So that way you know what, it's real views and you know how many you get. And I just like I cannot for the life of me. Why change it? Why change that? Mm. And I know all the all the social media platforms are just trying to make their um, make it look like people are getting more views yeah. in whatever way they can to try and make it seem more popular. But that that actually does the opposite because really to viral content. Anyway, those are one of the things. There's some there's some of the little other technical stuff, but otherwise, besides for that. It's not scary to tweet anymore, you know. Like I'm not worried when I write something. On You're Twitter. not worried about getting deleted. No, mm. I'm not worried about getting deleted. It just pisses me off. Which that, is good. But which, but pisses me off that they that, that, that there are still banned accounts that I that I certainly don't believe. Even if you hate Tommy Robinson or Alex Jones or government, they're definitely not worse than, than some of the than what? top accounts Hamas. on Twitter now. Or, or Muslim Brotherhood. Or, there's all these different people. I know. The, f- the leader of Iran, yeah, literally um, saying wipe the whole country off the face of the planet, won his Twitter account. Yeah. It's like, I'm banned. Yeah. I find it bad. I know. It's quite funny, really. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's, but anyway, yeah. that's me going down about myself again. But um, I feel your pain. Mm. I think that's, look, that was one of the major problems when they cancelled you, and it made me go crap. Like I, there's only it makes people point. self-censor as well. Yeah, well, I self-censor on, depends what platform you go on. Like, I literally self-censor if I want, because you want it to go on the mainstream platforms. Because you can choose, you can either not self-censor and have it on the Russian platform. Which is what this Fresh and, when I was on Fresh and Fit, they were like, we'll talk about this and then we'll get into Islam when we flip over to Rumble. I was like, yeah. quite clever. And then they goes, right, now it's free speech, jump over to Rumble. They yeah, start off we, we do that. I do that on the podcast, like when we have guests. How's your podcast going? Yeah, it's good. Rukshan, he's actually in town. He seems cool. Is he in? He's, yeah, he's, is he here? Yeah, he's here for this thing. Yeah, okay. he is a top lad. He like, seems like a good lad. Really good and 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 very likable. Yeah, and he's smart and he's just the opposite to me. Like he's calm and he's cop tapes about this Israel stuff when he's like so new. He's so neutral. neutral. Um, like, because they associate him with now being that because you are. Nah, nah, bro. He's he's copped it from, like, every side. So like, he said something like just having his opinion about you know, terrorism or that barbaric act. He's like, that's like messed up. You can't support that. About that specific, you know, he got. You're oh my god, you resigned. Like, oh, of course, RV brainwashed you. Blah blah blah. All this. <laughs> and then like, if he says something, slightly like you know, t- saying about the bombings, maybe, you know, so- something, you know, that that maybe even for me to look at feels a little difficult, mm. but, but then like the other side goes hard at him as well. And the poor guy is stuck in the middle because I, I know he's genuinely a good guy and he's genuinely, definitely not on the supp- supporting Hamas. He supports like for sure peace, Israel's peace. right. Yeah, and, and for peace, like, and just watching someone like him <laughs> He's just getting so much he's shit. He's so nice. Well, I'm going to take a photo of him and stick it out. I'm going to get him a load more grief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to get one with him and just put it on Telegram. You're here for your book launch? Yep. Well, I say book launch. It's, it's a UK. book tour event. Where, look, I'm here for... There's the ARC thing that they've got running and, and, the, and the book. I thought it's an opportunity to do both. I organised that before I knew what would go down in Israel. If I knew what was going to happen, I don't know if no, I'd be here. I'm so dumb. I'm, like, I'm, I'm so glad dumb. you're here because I was going to fly out to where? Bali? Because I wanted you to be one of my first guests on my podcast. And we were trying to negotiate it, see where you are. So let me know where you are. I just want to yeah. sit... Oh, because I wanted to sit down and hear, hear your story behind you. Because you've just... Now you're, now you're a journalist that people know the face of. 
but I've never heard your story told. Yeah. Now it's been told. Rebel from the start. A rebel from the start, certainly. It's a couple of us. It's a good, it's a good it? name. I think it is a good name. I, I, I remember when it was like, honestly, writing that book was hard. And hard not for the reason that everyone, like people think, oh, is it hard to tell your story? I'm like, no, I actually, I think my story to me is now that I've been through the dark crap. Now it's easy to tell the story because I'm not in it. It's, that's what made me who I am today. It's, uh, I, I'm actually proud of even the worst bits of where I got to. Because it chittles yeah. your character. The hardest part was just physically writing. Uh, but and you actually and just to clear this, you didn't get a ghostwriter. You no, so, so we originally started with a ghostwriter, but um, I realised quite quickly that it's not my voice. And you know, there's if you read that, sure. you'll know that I wrote that because it's not. It's then I'm not using fancy big English. In there. It's literally there's a load. <laughs> you know, my family they're so competitive yeah. in the family group when I. When, 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 when I published it first, it was like a competition who could find more mistakes. Mistake. It was perfect because like, now, now I don't think you'll find any because my family's like, it, they, they weren't doing it for me. They were doing it all to one up each other. Did you have to have any discussions with your mum and dad before this come out? Nah, every, everyone's actually kind of, my dad was, my dad came on the podcast after did it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it because oh, you, do you hold resentment? Do you hold any resentment? Nah, no, no. I did for many you years. You did? No, no, I had my dad on the podcast. It actually, it was actually really good. I'm gonna watch that. And I get, okay. like I give him shit on there, and he was he's a he's a good sport about it. But he he says that when he got it, he was very worried, and he him? says he felt like it was very fair. He felt it was very fair. Yeah, okay, that's good. And I didn't I, I don't think I went that easy on him, but I I think I, just, I, I think I've done it. You know how I wasn't allowed to talk about anything for that all that period of time, and you knew a lot of it back then, yeah. but I wasn't allowed to talk about it publicly. It was probably good for me. You wasn't able to talk about it, but you wasn't able to get support for it either because no. you were going through the courts. And I remember the, the prices shit. and the bills. Couldn't I remember talking shit. to you, saying, I can't, even, I can't even ask people to support my case. I can't help get help yeah. with the pain. Couldn't do anything. Yeah, I remember. Couldn't do anything. I had to just, it was, it was hell. Mm. You were actually there for me. Right? No mm. one really knows that, but yeah. What would you say, what, what advice would you give, Avi? You've been through a lot. You've been hooked on heroin. You've been to war zones. Yeah. To any young lads who are watching, yeah. Who are struggling as well. Because I yeah. know we just had a Dave Courtney, a famous lad who just shot himself dead last week in the UK. Yeah. But yeah, what advice would you give to young men and how important do you think physical fitness is as well? 100%. Honestly, one thing I learned from training is that when you feel shit, if you just get your heart rate up for about 10, 15 minutes and you let those endorphins come out, you're likely going to snap out of that depression mode. But also just generally, it's like, I get depressed now sometimes. Like, and, and I remember if you just go to sleep, if you just, just take care of yourself for like 24 hours, it actually, like, everything passes. And, you know, it, there's nothing that can really be that, that significant because we are all so, like, small. We're all passing by. I know it sounds like knobbish, but at the end of the day, it's true. If you think about it in 100 years, You've probably left a much bigger mark on the world than many other people, even though they cancelled you. Your name will be remembered much more than probably me or the, a lot of other people. Uh, so I think that if you put it all into perspective and realise that nothing, 
you know, the things that matter is your family, your life, and standing for your actual principles and what matters. At the end of the day, don't sweat the little stuff. It's easier to say. Sometimes it's harder to actually in the moment. Yeah, at that time. At that time it's hard, but then afterwards you can look back. Man, you know how many things I look back and I go, I can't believe I sweated that one. Yeah, like, I've done Why? Yeah. What, I got myself into so much trouble because I cared about something that I really don't care about. So, like, yeah. Well, Avi, I know you've got to sit here and do another one of these now, haven't you? So, I'll, um, I'll thank you for your uh, time, he's bro. Got, he's got half the brain that you, Danny, so. <laughs> and you it's, been, it's been too long. Do you have any plans to come back to the UK in the future? Um, yeah, when, uh, when you conquer it back, I'll come. Otherwise, this place looks worse and worse every time I come. No offense. If there was an English Defence League reunion rally, would you come? Would you be interested in coming over for it? <laughs> You'd get cancelled. I enjoy oh, my book. Stopped at the border. <laughs> Dude, I was so nervous today. Coming I in. Got it. Bro, I have the electric, uh, electronic one. Benji's one just went through. My one said... Uh, that means you want to watch. That means you want to watch. Seek advice, seek mm. thing. I go there, he asked me like a bunch of questions and he's looking at the screen. And I'm being rejected enough to know what rejection feels like. And I'm like, here we go again. And the line of questioning, I was like, he was just lining me up for a, to, to cancel me. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm one, there was one part of me that was going, please just send me home. I'm so tired. <laughs> like, seriously? I was like, thinking, it's a good excuse. Please send me home. I'm like, I, I will not even fight this way. Um, I'm dying to go home cuddle the kids and be in my bed. But no, after that weird questioning and he, like, and he was writing everything down. Hmm. That, oh. that happens to me every airport, every time. Really? And then they write, they, he has to write it down. So that, that is, and I, I asked the copper, I asked one of them once. I said, what's this, what sort of list am I on? He goes, yeah, you're on a list, everything gets checked. And we have to put it all back in. So the flight number, where you've been, who you're traveling with, just all your stuff. Wow. So red watch, it's called a red list or something. Don't know why. But it didn't stop me from getting in. No. I don't know what it... Just be updating, but... I'm glad you're here, Abby. It's great to see you, man. It's been too long. And so they can get this on Amazon, yeah? Amazon or rebelfromthestart.com. Is that Kindle and book? Yeah, me? Kindle and book. Yeah, you can get it. And um, you can leave a review. Leave a review. That I love how the haters try to, like... You know, the first few days and like all my family's like, Oh, my gosh. There's such One bad stars, reviews. I'm like, I'm like, no one's even read it because they couldn't have read it because I haven't got my copy. Because my first copy, I, I didn't yeah. even know how it works, Amazon. So I bought my first copy for myself. <laughs> Before I sent it to anyone, I bought yeah. one for myself. And I was like, they haven't read Like, don't worry about it. And now, yeah, now you can see the real reviews. So, yeah. If you're watching this, you understand how censored we are anyway. Um, we have important discussions. I can't do any of this without your help or your support or even get the message out of your help or support. I hope you've enjoyed our discussions together and, um, yeah, like and subscribe. Thank you very much. Don't the Zionists pay for this? I know, man. I just I keep thinking, where are these Zionists? <laughs> where the fuck are they? <laughs> look, look, if you're in Israel, you want to give me some money, I'll take it. I don't give a shit. I, I've want, got the none, I, I need want the shekels. The maddest I... thing, you know, they, they link all this stuff. It's like... No, right? Because even even they say Shilman Fellow. I've never met him. Yeah, I used to work for Rebel. Yeah, I don't know what who funds Rebel Media or where they got their money. I don't care. And then it's like, oh yeah, they paid for everything. It's like no, the Middle East Forum once 
once paid for a demonstration only based on freedom of speech. I've never received any money from Israel. Oh God! I just actually, I said, you know what? You don't need me to. Pay, you don't need to pay me money for me to come out and say Hamas are absolute scumbags, and then innocent people getting murdered is wrong. Anyway, don't get me going. Uh, dear brothers and sisters in Israel, I'll send you my bank details. <laughs> I haven't got any bank details. <laughs> they closed them. I take my shekels in cash. They closed them. You don't yeah. want shekels, it's yeah. crap. Have each cheers, bro. I've enjoyed it. Carry on watching for more interesting guests. I'll talk to anyone. I'll debate anyone. I'll hear anyone's story. If you want to help me along that way, it's not free. I need your support. If you can support my family, that gives me my peace of mind. It means I can continue to do the work I do. You can do so at www.supporttommy.com. I appreciate every bit of support, as do my children. It gives me the ability to fly them out here to see me so I can stay in constant contact with them. I'm de-platformed and I'm censored, so I need you. I need you to share this content. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming weekly guests. Interesting guests, exciting guests. I'm Tom Robson, and this has been my podcast, Silence.